95.47% of all greenhouse gases are non-man-made and it's one thing, water vapor, right? So that's that's actually the by, by a huge percentage, the largest thing. So I know that, yeah, we have altered things. I don't really concern myself so much with that component of it. You know, there are a lot of things that we do that are really, really harmful to pretty much everything that's biological on the planet. And so the reason I'm kind of on the bandwagon of like getting people to worry about global warming and things like that isn't for the direct effect of global warming. It's really for the peripheral effects of the toxins and the poisons that they're pumping out. Because the short-term effects of toxic environments uh, is something that you're going to start seeing more and more and more and more. Hey, what's up? I'm Luke Story from LukeStory.com, and this is episode 465 with Ian Mitchell. You're going to find all the episode resources for this one at LukeStory.com slash Ian. That's I-A-N. Who's our guest? Well, over the past decade, Ian has developed a series of novel therapeutics using lipofullerenic conjugates and holds multiple patents across a host of different scientific disciplines, such as nanomedicine and materials science. But that's not all. He also holds joint patents with the University of Tulsa for personalized cancer screening technology and personalized cell culture media for both laboratory and clinical settings, as well as an antiviral therapeutic. And Dude recently developed the first viable gamma ray shielding system for use on spacecraft and in space habitats, as well as a carbon negative concrete to inhibit greenhouse gas proliferation. He's also the lead scientist at Wizard Sciences, Polymath in Residence at Ecliptic Capital, and Scientific Advisor for Leela Quantum. Wow, that was a lot to spit out. Now, needless to say, Ian is a brainiac of the highest order. But what I really like about him and the many conversations we've shared is that he also has a huge heart. And that, my friends, is a great combination for any human being. And man, we get into all sorts of crazy shit in this conversation, so I'll just drop a few breadcrumbs for you to follow here. What Ian has learned from David Hawkins since I turned him on to his teachings a few years ago, his experience in learning the incredible skill of muscle testing calibration. We also spend some time talking about my recent visit to his mind-blowing lab out in Tulsa and the stuff we saw there, like his fireproofing technology, making oxygen water, that carbon-negative concrete, and the really crazy hyperbaric oxygen chamber he built by himself. Really wild stuff. So I'm excited to share that with you. And we also talk about why he finally created his own brand, Wizard Sciences, after engineering some incredible products for many other companies. He also, of course, goes into depth about something called C60, for which he's widely known, the difference between the carrier oils and how C60 can help with free radical damage from EMF, and we spent some time talking about his innovative treatments for dementia and why he thinks Alzheimer's is totally treatable and what makes C8 MCT oil so special. And he tells us precisely why the Wizard Sciences Neural RX, Olympic RX, and Vortex RX are so damn effective. And lastly, we talk about how he got involved with Leela Quantum and helped to develop Quantum Upgrade. Ian makes some of my very favorite and most unique products. So if by the end of the show you want to try them out with a fat 20% discount, here's what you do. Go to lukestory.com slash wizard sciences and use the code Luke at checkout. All right, my science curious friends, let's go ahead and jump off the deep end here with Ian Mitchell of Wizard Sciences on the Lifestylist podcast. 
All right, Ian, here we go. Woohoo. Is Let's this our it. number two or three? Three. This is the third one. Third Count, counting, yeah, counting the, the Leela, it would be four. Oh, right. <laughs> right. Okay, cool. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think of who has the record for that. It might, it might be you at this point. Have to Woo! look into that. So apart from seeing you today, the last time I saw you was when Alice and I took a trip up to your, do you call it a lab or yeah. headquarters or? Lab, yeah. I mean, it certainly looks and sounds and smells like a lab. <laughs> <laughs> and, and we've been talking about your, the work that you do up there for a few years now. And um, I've always wanted to come up there and then realize that now that I live here in, um, I'm also realizing I can't say yes as yet. Uh, but that when I lived here in Austin, you told me, you're like, dude, it's like an eight-hour drive. Yeah, or a two-hour flight. Yeah, yeah, I mean, so coming up there was actually very easy. And thank you for having us and picking us Happy up at the airport too, and being such a champ. But being a guy who just really likes to um, see how things work, I was like a kid in a candy store. because oh, yeah. there's some cool stuff going down yeah, there. Yeah, I'm, I'm really seeing where the... The secret sauce is made, so to speak. <laughs> so I wanted to just talk about some of the freaky things that I encountered there. Uh, one being, I mean, there's, there were quite a few in a one-day visit. There was a lot. Um, this is, of course, the headquarters of Wizard Sciences, yeah. which is the stuff sitting right here for those people uh, watching the video. So I want to see how you make this stuff because it's novel in its, mm -hmm. in its uh, category. But we go in and you do this fireproof demonstration oh, of this yeah. substance you created. <laughs> and I, I, God, I should put those videos somewhere. I did post them on Instagram, but I think they were stories. So they'll probably be gone by the time this comes out. But basically you put this material on some eggs mm -hmm. and then you hit it with a blowtorch. Yeah. And then you take the material off and the freaking egg is still raw. I mean, it's like, I'm like, what is happening here? I'll send you, so you can put it in the show notes, I'll send you a video and, and a picture. Because the, the thing that was cool to me is, it was something that I developed for a project that I was working on because I needed a heat shielding material and nothing existed that fit the criteria of what I needed. I needed something very thin that would dissipate all of the heat. And so it's, you know, it's like a millimeter thick. I mean, you saw it, you know, when I take it off, it's like a millimeter thick, but I hit it with a blowtorch at 3,730 degrees. And then, yeah, the egg's raw. <laughs> so it's, it's pretty cool. Um, what are you going to do with that? I mean, the moment I saw that, I was like, You're, this is the first person I know that's a billionaire <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> like, that I know personally. Can I get a loan? Like, what are we working with here? I mean, do you do you have any commercial? Um... Yeah, there there will be, but a lot of the things I do, you know, I'm I'm lucky in that I I actually get you know paid to like develop really cool stuff for all sorts of different things. Like I, one of the things that I'm really jazzed about is I just did this gamma ray shielding thing. That's you know I've had it for a while, but it's really cool because for for deep space travel, anytime you re, you go outside the magnetosphere, you you get bombarded with you know cosmic gamma rays and and things mm -hmm. that really eviscerate your genome, right? Like if you want to set up on Mars, your, your two options are subterranean. So it blocks things out, which hence probably the boring company. So, you know, they can go underground or you have to have some sort of gamma shielding and you can use lead for it, but it's very difficult because it's so heavy, right? And my thing is super light and it just, it leverages properties of materials that are already there that just have been, for whatever reason, not noticed <laughs> you know and so there's there's stuff like that where i'm trying to develop things where where i see a problem for humanity 
I'm trying to fix it, right? And you, you, you were up at the lab, so you saw my board where I have, you know, the, the six things that I wanted to knock out before I keeled over. And so they've been really kind of sequential aging, cancer, clean water, free energy, global warming, superluminal travel, right? And I just wanted to, I looked at the things that I thought would make the biggest dent for humanity. Like if I, if I do my thing right, how am I going to help the most? And those were the items. And what was funny is I had, written that list like a decade ago and it was just like stream of consciousness on the top of the board and it's literally been on the top of the board for the past decade but what was what was funny is even though i thought i'm just like oh off the top of my head every one of them had clues for the next one right like when i would crack one puzzle it would give me the keys to really make a dent on the next one and i've been lucky because i've i've made real serious strides on most of those things um, now it's tricky to get the implementation, right? Like you develop in, in the case of, you know, that heat shielding, it was with reference to this, uh, process to make biochar, which was going to be used for carbon negative concrete. That's great. If everybody shifted ubiquitously across the board, it did knock out, you know, like 13 billion tons of greenhouse gases annually, I mean, which, which would be a, a huge chunk, um, but getting everybody to do that sort of adoption curve when there's already incumbent players in the marketplace that are making money doing what they're doing and that they've always done, that's, that's where it becomes tricky is you have to kind of nudge things along. And it takes a little while to catch traction to get those ideas out. So, you know, the question of what are you going to do with it? Well, I'll, I'll get it into industry for sure. Uh, it's just a matter of how, how I do that and over what period of time. Um, speaking in the, the fire retardant part of it in future scaling, I mean, is this something that could be, um, put between the drywall in my house and the mm -hmm. exterior stucco and oh, yeah. render my house, um, unburnable? Yes. hundred percent. Huh. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And actually the, one of my friends moved to Colorado recently and there were huge fires in his neighborhood and, um, it took it took out almost he Scott sent me a picture of his neighborhood and it took out almost the entire neighborhood. Um Scott with prescriptions. And uh, okay. yeah, like all the houses were destroyed. And if they had had this on the outside, it wouldn't have done anything. You know, wow. it would have gotten toasty on the outside. But I mean an egg is far more sensitive. You denature the proteins on an egg a lot more easily than you burn a house. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah that was wild. I it's it's fun seeing things that can't be <laughs> like <laughs> it it can't work because it can't work it doesn't reality doesn't conform like that you know so that was it, yeah it's super, cool. i mean i knew it was going to work because you wouldn't have showed me if it was going <laughs> to fail if there was a margin for error you, you would have prefaced it by saying hey this might not work but one out of a thousand times does let's see if it does you're like oh no it's just a thing and you're sitting there blowing on it like a creme brulee yeah you say that though the, the so the deputy director of nasa had flown down to see the gamma ray shielding like about a year ago and I had this whole setup, right? And I had a big chunk of thorium inside a box with a Geiger counter on the outside. And the thorium was kind of wrapped in lead like a jelly roll, right? So that the, it would only be emissive from the top and the bottom would be blocked by this big lead box. And so it was supposed to come out of this one hole. Well, we set it up, tested it, everything worked flawlessly. And then, so she flies in, we, we move it from one segment of the lab. I headed to the lab at the university where I'd been doing work. And we moved it into the back section. Well, unbeknownst to me, the thorium got knocked over. So it was horizontal. And so she comes in and we do this, you know, this test and it doesn't work. <laughs> oh, <laughs> it like absolutely fell flat. And so I was like, oh, damn it. So tried it again, nothing. And I literally, I looked at her and went, look, mom, no hands. Because it was like, it was such a bad, it was like the most 
horrible professional fail and like the worst <laughs> possible, the worst possible thing. And so everybody split, and then it, we took a little while and disassembled everything, and then we figured out that it had actually just fallen over. So we were able to do it, and it would work. But did you get like, the guy to come back and see it? Yeah, working? she came back. Oh, okay. Yeah, but it was like it was literally the, the worst professional feeling. Like you've got somebody that's just flown in to see this big da 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 da. da. I felt like Daffy Daffy Duck doing the tap dance routine. You know that that is crickets. humbling indeed. <laughs> It was it was legit very embarrassing. So so you got this fire retardant. You have this gamma ray blocker. Um, what's the latest? We talked about this in our last podcast. This um, uh, carbon negative concrete, which I you described as being really cool looking, like a black concrete. Yeah, that- it looks like onyx. Yeah, and so it's basically it's just you you stabilize the carbon in the matrix inside of the concrete, and so you just replace a couple of the components. And also, it's it's really good because you negate uh, a portion of sand and some other things that are really ac- actually surprisingly very much in short su- supply in the world. Um, so you you negate that being a necessary component, and then people just throw it in the mix, and then they make concrete with it. But part of that, like the adoption curve of things, what you really want to do is you want to set things up so that the people who do the work have to change the fewest things possible, because then you can actually get some sort of adoption, right? The two big things are, is it different, and does it cost more? And if you can negate those two things, then you can generally get some sort of widespread adoption. But you have to take care of the finances first, because even if you have the best thing in the world, if people don't see a financial indication that it's going to behoove them to do it, you know, yeah. I, t- I taught a course on green building in 1997 and nobody cared, right? Like nobody cared about life cycle costing and trying to do, you know, development so that you were doing things in an environmentally and eco-friendly way and it's environmentally sustainable. Nobody cared. Everybody wanted to know, is it cheaper? <laughs> you know, and I mean, you just having remodeled your place, you you really know, like, and you did all the stuff, right? Like, EMF blockers and things like that, they're expensive, right? You can't really life cycle cost that out because the people on the other side of it, they don't care, right? Like when you go to sell your place, if you have $100,000 of sunk costs, they're like, eh, whatever, you know? Yeah, if, I, if and when I do sell it, it's going to have to be a savvy buyer. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking about that when I was doing it. I was like, is this going to be in the real estate listing? And if so, who is going to care or even know what that means? But Yeah, you have the very odd overlapping Venn diagram of people who know about EMFs and people who like sustainable, healthy building. And yeah. Yeah, well, maybe when I when and if I do, I'll advertise it on the podcast, and people will already well, you know. I mean, they'll already know. You've actually been doing a great service, though, just in terms of general awareness of things like EMFs, because most people think that's just you know they can't see it, so they don't really pay attention to it, right? And unless you like in my lab, I've got trifield meters everywhere, so like you pick up a trifield meter and you can you can actually see what's going down. But if you don't have that. I mean, they're they're cheap. You can buy them for you know sixty bucks on Amazon, but most people don't care, right? They don't think that there's an impact, and what they don't realize is that it's completely marginalizing their biology all the time. And unless you do something like you know, we were talking earlier about the the Lila quantum blocks and things like that. Unless you're doing something to actively mitigate it, then you're you're being blasted. Your physiology isn't responding as well as it should be. It is tough for people because it's. Um it's not like putting your hand inside a microwave oven and you know what I mean? It's death right. by a thousand cuts. It's just, it's one of those inputs that causes oxidative stress and a number of other issues that is, it's not really quantifiable. For me, luckily and unluckily, I'm sorry guys to tell this story on the podcast again. I get so sick of saying it, but it, it was a huge turning point when I got 
radiation poisoning from living right under two massive freaking cell towers. And I already believed in this stuff, you know, but I I was strategic in where I lived and mitigated things, you know, as much as I could um, while remaining sane, but I couldn't see them and they were hidden. So therefore it was not a, a nocebo or, you know, placebo effect of me like worrying about these towers and getting sick because of them. I didn't know they were there. I got super sick. And then only after the fact, when I discovered they were there, uh, realized that's what it was. Well, there are so many things in our environment, like people don't think about it, but our biology is designed to function with 21% oxygen in the air, right? Nowadays, we don't have that anymore, right? Everybody thinks we do, but we don't. It's 19%. So you've got basically a a 10% deficit in just the available oxygen and you need oxygen for the electron transport chain, right? You're not going to make ATP. Unless you take a methylene blue. <laughs> right, yeah. Actually, well, that's interesting, right? So like the, the things that I do, and I do red light therapy so I can affect, affect complex four and you know do the cytochrome oxidase and change the COX behavior so you can, you can actually upregulate your ability to make and utilize things and cycle oxygen through your system. But we're, we're at a deficit, right? Same thing with like deuterium, right? The reason, the rationale behind me working on deuterium depleted water is that people don't realize it. They don't, a lot of people don't even really know what deuterium is. And, you know, for, for those who need the explanation, it's when you think of water, it's H2O, but the H, hydrogen, is also called protium. And so it's just, it's a proton with an orbital electron. And deuterium is a proton, a neutron, and an orbital electron. So it's twice the mass. Even though the atomic number is the same, it's twice the mass. So when you ingest that, and your body processes the water through your mitochondria, <clears throat> it actually damages the little nanoscopic rotors in your mitochondria and downregulates your body's ability to perform. Well, we evolved at a really consistent rate. You know, our biology, all of our cells evolved over tens of thousands of years with, you know, 130-ish, 135-ish parts per million. And over the past 60 years, that's gone up to about 155 parts per million. And so there again, you've got this huge downregulation and energy potentiation that you're able to do. So if you take out 10% of your water or 10% of your oxygen rather, and then you affect your energy with, you know, what you're consuming in water and it's ubiquitous, it's everywhere, right? That stuff, you just don't escape it. Um you're not functioning at the level that you should be. So a lot of the things, you know, like clean water, um, global warming, all those things, they take a slight toll. So it's like you said, death by a thousand cuts, right? So I'm just trying to kind of mitigate those things where I can. Um, is global warming really a thing? And if so, is is there any proof that, it, and I'm I'm an environmentalist, like I don't litter, I love nature. <laughs> like, don't get me wrong, but I remember seeing years ago, these scientists, um, displaying ice core drilling records going back eons and showing how that at different times when the sun emitted more solar flares that the planet's been hotter, it's been hot tons of times just like this. And, and, and their thing was that, you know, yeah, it's happening, but it's not caused by humans. I think humans are screwing up the environment in innumerable ways, mm-hmm. like, you know, the cleanliness of our water and the skies and the air and all the things, right? All the pollution. But I, the idea that humans make the planet hotter seems dubious. Well, 95.47%, if memory serves, and it generally does, of all greenhouse gases are non-man-made, and it's one thing, water vapor, right? So that's that's actually the by by a huge percentage the largest thing. Now, granted, it's a very it's a very balanced system. So you can take something out of homeostasis by just tweaking things a little bit. It's like putting something on one side of a scale. It may not be much, but over time, it's going to start to move it. So I know that, yeah, we have altered things. 
I don't really concern myself so much with that component of it. Reason being, I actually hope that people make changes, but not so much for carbon dioxide. I'm really worried about things like nitrogen dioxide, hydrogen sulfide. You know, there are a lot of things that we do that are really, really harmful to pretty much everything that's biological on the planet. And so the reason I'm kind of on the bandwagon of like getting people to worry about global warming and things like that isn't for the direct effect of global warming. It's really for the peripheral effects of the toxins and the poisons that they're pumping out. Because when you when you start to focus on one, by proxy, you start to negate the other and take those down. And I'm really not so worried about the one. I'm really worried about the other. Because the short-term effects of toxic environments uh, is something that you're going to start seeing more and more and more and more. I agree. Yeah, yeah I think I have a, a point of contention with um, what I think is kind of pseudo-environmentalism. And that is where the huge elephants in the room are not discussed. <laughs> and some of the, the worst the actors in pollution, climate change, et cetera, are totally um, ignored from the conversation. Like oh, chi- yeah. China and India, for example. I, many people would think you are racist if, <laughs> if you point out who the big polluting countries are, right? But you see like the main, I'm talking about main, not real environmentalists, but I mean like pseudo-environmentalists like China and India are off limits in terms of regulations, right? It's like they want to regulate all the, you know, the Western countries and stuff. The other thing is that, um, and this has nothing to do with what I wanted to talk to you about, by the way. (laughs) The other thing is, anytime I see someone pop off about the environment, as well-intentioned as they might be, if people aren't talking about geoengineering and what is happening to our skies, A, B, they're not talking about the ubiquitous radiation through all of the, you know, um, telecommunications industry, cell towers, 5G, all that stuff. If we're not talking about that, my ears just kind of shut down and my eyes glaze over and I'm just like, you don't like, Yeah, we're not talking about the the really gnarly stuff. And and they're the most actionable too. That's what's crazy actually. Like those, those things, I mean, yeah, you know, I was born in the '70s, so I remember the skies looking very differently on a daily basis. Yeah, you know, they, were, and, they were blue, and then yeah. you had clouds that came in that were kind of <laughs> round. You know, like, <laughs> yeah, there there wasn't as much of a, you know a linear fashion to a tic tac toe pattern across the sky <laughs> that eventually turns the whole sky cloudy when there's no real clouds. Yeah, I mean, but you know, there. Well, there's, there's, I mean, there's a lot of things where people say, oh, that's conspiratorial. And, you know, I mean, I, I see things all the time where I'll look at it and go, huh, well, that's peculiar. Like the, you know, the, the atmospheric program where they're using high, high intensity radio waves in Alaska and shooting them up. Oh, harp? Yeah, harp. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Now, to me, I look at that and think, oh, well, that's, that's really simple. You, you simply bubble the ionosphere and you can change the flow pattern of all the, the trade winds. You know, I mean, th- there are a lot of downstream effects of that, right? Yeah. So, to my way of thinking, well, if you extrapolate on that and you put it in a certain, you know, locations, pivotal locations, you can actually adjust things to get certain currents and do certain things. And, and that's very obvious. I'll give you my biggest conspiracy. And this is just one that I intuited and I could be insane. I think that the Haiti earthquake was created by HARP as a test to see if they could do it. That would be, well... What I will and say again, this is just when it happened, I was like, that's harp. I don't know why. <laughs> just, you know, we can muscle test it. I, I don't know. I will say, you know, if you if you send out um, radio frequency waves at specific frequencies, you can get much more penetration when you bounce it off the ionosphere. You can get deep earth penetration. And there's 
Yeah, I mean, that's. I that's mean, because just the, the proponents of this type of technology use it to find uh, oil and, mm-hmm. and things like that, right? Yeah. I mean, it's, in, it's like in, ground penetrating radar. Yeah, and it's all informatics, this. right? You're trying to use new technology to see what's happening in the territory you're at. Yeah. And there's a very thin line. I mean, you were at the lab, you saw some things that are weird. One of, one of the things was um, the M drive that I built, right? Which is this. Type of uh, type of motor that's not supposed to exist, and it's supposed to violate all these laws of physics. It doesn't actually, right? So, the uh, oftentimes when you see things that are violating something, it's not really that they're violating it; it's that our assessment of what those laws are isn't quite complete, right? So, if you if you do the research and you you actually do the experimental stuff, and you, and you can say empirically, like, look, I did the experiment. This was my data. And this is how it's functioning. And then you can work out the equations to figure out what's going on. You can say, oh, well, turns out it doesn't violate anything. We just had an incorrect assumption about what was actually going down. And so, you know, I'm in a position where I've been lucky enough to do some things like that. But in that particular case, after I had developed the thing, I, th- I started thinking about it. I thought, huh, you know, there's, there's a potential for great harm for this, right? Because it's a very easy thing to weaponize something like that. And, you know, I'm trying not to repeat the as we talked about, you know, earlier, like the Jurassic Park thing or like, just because you can doesn't mean you should. And I don't want to be that, you know, the guy who's like, oh, I'm going to have to start the Nobel Prize because I've developed TNT and, you know, so many people have been killed by, I mean, that's, you know, Alfred Nobel wanted to change the perception of his legacy, right? That's why the Nobel Prize exists is because things he developed, you know, killed so many thousands and thousands of people that towards the end of his life, he really wanted to shift things. And I don't, I don't want to make that same mistake, you know, do something and think like, wow, look at this great technological thing. And then have someone, you know, DARPAify it. (laughs) You know, like, great idea. Let's take that and see how many other people we can kill with it. Also, just out of self-preservation, I mean, you see how people that um, are able to uh, build an engine that runs on water instead of gasoline and they disappear pretty quickly, you know, free energy devices, stuff like this. I mean, if I came up with something like that, I'd keep it real quiet. Throw it in the garage and impress your friends. But yeah, you you know, you bring something um, out of your creative core and you're using your intelligence and intuition and you create something unique and and innovative. But if it's like, a firearm, it can obviously be used uh, as a great tool or, you know, yeah, well, devastation. Well, one of the things that in the process of developing the gamma shielding that we came up with was I figured out how to make a gamma ray laser, right? <laughs> right. And so that that's actually, I mean, it's oh, man. very intense, right? You know, it's a couple of order of magnitude stronger than what you would normally get with something that's photonic in nature, just in terms of the visible spectrum of light, right? So you go up a couple of orders of magnitude because of the disparity in the wavelengths. And so that's that in and of itself is it has a lot of potential for good, but it also has a lot of potential to be weaponized and not be so good. And so, I mean, you were up there. There there are a lot of things that I've built that I kind of go, yeah, not quite ready for that yet. And then I literally just disassemble them and put them away because I don't think we're there yet. You know, and I and I really don't want to go down the berry path of like developing something and then spending the rest of my life, you know, regretting that. Oh my God, can you imagine? No, I I genuinely can't. I mean, to be life's hard enough when you just realize you've been an asshole. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. And you want to take it back. I mean, I have so many situations in my life in which it's, I'm just mortified by my behavior. Yeah, well, I mean, when I was less awake, you know. Yeah, think about like the Oppenheimers and you know guys like that. I mean, like I bet if you asked them, like, hey, that bomb that you did, you know, uh, how's that feel? They'd probably be like, yeah, sucks. 
Yeah, you know? for real. I, I just don't want to move down that very path. I'd rather, sometimes I have an intellectual curiosity about something like, can I do it? How does it work? What is that? And so I just, I scratch that itch, right? You know, I'll solve the puzzle. Great. Got the answer. Write it down. Put it away. When it comes to health, I'm always looking for solutions founded on science and inspired by nature. I want products that adopt ancestral ways of living in our modern day world. This, my friends, is why I'm such a huge fanboy of Bond Charge. They're a holistic wellness brand with a huge range of evidence-based products to optimize your life in so many ways. From EMF management and circadian-friendly lighting, Bond Charge products help you naturally address the issues of our modern-day way of life effortlessly and with maximum impact. And one of my all-time favorite products from Bond Charge are their 100% blackout sleep masks. And this is important because creating a pitch black sleep environment solves poor sleep, frequent awakenings, and sleeping during night shifts. Now personally, since I've worked very hard to make our bedroom totally dark with custom window shades, my most common uses of the Bond Charge mask are as follows. Creating a blackout room when traveling and during long flights, and supporting naps, meditation, and even spiritual ceremonies. What makes this mask the best ever is that it's 100% blackout, super soft to wear, has adjustable straps for max comfort, works for back, belly, and side sleepers, has adjustable eye cups to avoid eye pressure and room for long lashes, plus it's super breathable so your face doesn't overheat when you're trying to chill. You can score yourself a couple sleep masks right now by going to bondcharge.com slash lifestylist, and if you're smart, you'll use the code lifestylist to save 15%. That's B-O-N-C-H-A-R-G-E, bondcharge.com slash lifestylist. And again, your code is also lifestylist. Um, another thing that was interesting at your lab amongst the many curiosities was this uh, submarine looking giant hyperbaric <laughs> oxygen tank that your welder mechanic friend employee was over there soldering stuff and well I'm like what is happening it's a hyperbaric chamber and my first thought and I might have even asked you this I said you know you can buy these right <laughs> like you have to actually you know build not, one not quite like is that is there something special about the one you're building and why you chose other than just not wanting to pay for it um, buying a commercial grade like medical three atmosphere chamber um, so this one would do a lot more than that and so I wanted to do a couple of things because it, it serves a couple of purposes one I can use it as a hyperbaric chamber two I can use it as a vacuum chamber for testing so it's you know it's made with half inch thick steel so it's far more robust than even like a you know a three atmosphere chamber is going to be uh, okay with, and what what would a vacuum uh, chamber provide for you um if i there are certain things that i'm testing that i need to test in a vacuum and sometimes you don't want you know like i have vacuum ovens and things like that but you want a larger space to test something and, and there, there are actually there's a surprising amount of things that you that behave very differently when they're under a vacuum so oh, okay. you know for developing different stuff and it's you know got half inch lexan for the uh for the viewports and things like that i mean it is and it's giant too you saw it yeah oh you, you could know. have a party in there yeah but you do intend to use it for oh, you know yeah. like health purposes well, as well yeah i actually one of the things i was going to do is i was going to run uh I, I know you saw a shia Frati study where he talked about you know the the regressive effects on aging of you know spending in 90 minutes a day in a hyperbaric chamber right and so if you read that study really they did it over 60 days um of active therapy which worked out to 90 days because they take the weekends off but really the big effects were in six weeks it was the 30 day mark you get the 
biggest yield on that. And so all they were doing, it, it, it wasn't even fully oxygenated, right? You're, drink, you're breathing medical-grade oxygen through a cannula and you're in a high-pressure you know, air environment instead of a high-pressure oxygen environment, which is great because if you want to go in there and use your laptop or your phone, there's no risk for explosion, <laughs> right, <laughs> which, is, right. which is far better than putting yourself inside the bomb chamber that's super thick-walled and, you know, using, using something in a, oops, I made a spark. So with the one you're building, will the ambient air be uh, yeah, so pure gonna, oxygen too, not yeah. just in via a cannula? No, well, we can do both, right? So we okay. have oxygen separators, concentrators, and filters to do medical-grade oxygen. So so we can do it either way. So for, for that, my game plan is to actually just pressurize the air because it's far easier and faster and, it, and it's a lot less cumbersome, right? Because yeah. with a chamber that big, really what you want to do is you want to take liquid oxygen, you know, and then because of the, the volumetric expansion, you want to use that and then change the temperature and then pipe that in. But um, yeah, so for the most part, I'll just use air and then just go breathe medical grade oxygen through the cannula. Uh, any progress on transferring the hyperbaric idea to hydrogen gas is that possible yeah it's totally possible yeah why isn't anyone doing that i don't know actually i've heard i've heard a couple of people have built big systems for that but i don't know why it isn't more prevalent you know i mean well part partly i do because one again hydrogen is very flammable and nobody wants, you know, like brought to you by Hindenburg Labs. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so, so that's not the best thing. And also hydrogen is difficult to contain, right? So the seals that you have to use are very different. Um, it's, it, it's one of the things like in a, in a perfect system, um, ster, sterling engines, which are kind of like a, a thermal cycle engine, they're great, but they work really the best if you use hydrogen, but it's difficult because the seals leak. And you have to go through a lot of hoops to do it. So the same thing applies to the hyperbaric stuff. It's, it is a little difficult, but I, I don't know why people aren't doing it more because the, the benefits of molecular hydrogen are great. I mean, I, I figured out a way to stabilize molecular hydrogen in water. Um, obviously, you know, we just drank some, right? And it's, so it's a little different. I was trying to shoot for really high percentages. So it's a little, it's a little more fizzy. It's kind of like the, the stuff I was doing with the oxygen, right? Stabilizing yeah. molecular oxygen in water at rates. Normally, water is like eight parts per million uh, oxygen. And so like when you were at the lab, I gave you some of the, the wizard water. Yeah, um, so for those listening, he's got he's got a full like I don't know how many gallons or how it's measured gigantic <laughs> oxygen chain hooked up. It looked like a brewery kind of setup, you yeah, know, hooked up close. to this water and it's bubbling through there and it was it was very impressive and and uh and we did the pulse oximeter. Yeah. And I think Allison's went up a couple point. Mine seems to seem to stay the same. Yeah. But this is when you were in a lower concentration of oxygen. Yeah, so we did that at 27, 28 parts per million. And so now we're doing it at over 100. And so, so what I've noticed is with everyone, we've tested two different effects, right? So either your pulse ox goes up to close to 100 or your pulse rate goes down. So either way, it's basically a translate. There's less strain on your body, your VO2 max shifts. Um, I think it's going to be great for athletes, right? You know, anybody who, who has a real demand on their system because... You, if you can get a 6% bump in your VO2 max just by virtue of drinking something, you know, normally to get that kind of a shift, you, you'd have to do like HIIT training for maybe six weeks and then you can get a you know, like 10 to 16% increase. But for elite athletes who are already kind of at the top end of their game, they're capped out. They're not going to be able to do that. But if you can provide something that's a different pathway and get them more oxygen so that they have actually more intracellular resources, then that's kind of a game changer. That's cool. That's like legal doping. 
Uh, yeah, effectively. Yeah. Well, I mean, you see it all the time. Nobody really talks about it. Like when you get, you know, the, the 400 pound linebacker that's on the sideline sucking down oxygen from a cannula, you know, and then goes back out and then just runs vigorously. That's how they do that. Right. right. You know, they're not, right. they're not superhuman. They're, I've seen uh, musicians do that too. Like backstage, they come and huff on the oxygen. You know, I was in Colorado a couple months ago and uh, they actually had bottled O2 with a, with a little nasal cannula on it in the store and you know for people who are visiting yeah, hikers and yeah stuff. yeah 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 i, I, I used brilliant. to I, I gotta get back on this but uh i used to bring those on airplanes really you're not supposed to don't tell anyone i actually a friend of mine told me that his cousin <laughs> asking to, for a friend yeah but l- the little ones you know and yeah. then a couple times i messed up and even had the taller ones maybe like nine inches mm-hmm. which would be like beyond the four ounces of liquid and i've never had them taken away by tsa they probably think it's just some medical condition yeah know. but i put it you know put it in my carry-on and then just hit it every now and then and um and i would check my my blood oxygen with the pulse oximeter mm-hmm. and it would be dipping down to 95 96 take a couple hits of that 99 oh yeah yeah and you can feel it too i mean you really do it's like you know when you're at elevation and you're hiking in the mountains up there man if you're if you're not if you haven't been there a while and you're not accustomed and acclimated to that oh my god you start to feel kind of lightheaded but if you take either if you drink like my water you know you drink that you feel just spot on instantly and it lasts for about 20 to 25 minutes which is nice because when you're doing the breathable stuff it, the effect is not that long yeah, you burn yeah. through it really quickly yeah yeah, yeah. I, after i started doing those then i think i forgot them at some point or something and uh, i thought well what if i just do breath work like low key without getting you know them uh, grounding the plane because they think i'm <laughs> you know insane or something but i started doing low-key breath work and i i would get it up the same way yeah, you know, it's still easier just to go shh than it is to sit there and do breath work <laughs> inconspicuously. But uh, yeah, that's interesting. Um, on the on the um, hydrogen chamber idea, mm-hmm. I had that idea a while ago with the chamber I have, which is one point five atmospheres, one of the soft shell ones. For those listening, there's an oxygen concentrator, right, that takes the ambient air in the room and turns it into what ninety nine percent oxygen, ninety eight, yeah, ninety eight. Okay, and then that goes in a little tube into the chamber and then there's a cannula which is kind of a nose piece hooked up to that so you breathe this pure oxygen while you're under the pressure and i have a uh, a vital reaction hydrogen generator that makes like i think three or four percent or something and it's on my desk i mean i use it every day almost all day while i'm working it's incredible for your cognitive function so one day i was like aha I can make my own chamber. So I, I, took, <laughs> I took the cannula off my, my, inha- my hydrogen inhaler and um, connected it to the chamber and, got it and turned it on and got in the chamber. So oh, this is nice. Did my 30 minutes or whatever and got out and the whole thing had like not blown up, like broken, but the pressure from the goddamn <laughs> chamber blew it all back and there's water everywhere and stuff. And I realized, oh, that's why the oxygen concentrator you know, has a pressure gauge on it, right? Yeah. So that the pressure in the chamber doesn't exceed the pressure coming from the concentrator. Yeah, so you get the concentrator and you put that in line with a compressor and you feed yeah. the concentrator into the compressor, into the chamber. 
Yeah. Otherwise, right. yeah. Otherwise, you'll blow it. That, yeah. That's those little medical grade cylinders. You know, they're at a much higher psi, and so when you pipe that through a cannula, it's already much higher than you know what you're exposing it to. Got it. So it just normalizes the pressure. Got it. Yeah. So that was another one of my failed experiments. Uh, you've been much more successful in your lab. I, you, you know, you think that, but, <laughs> but that's well, you the have thing. had a, a few fires. I have <laughs> had a, a couple of fires, and yeah, I mean, you, you know, we have those safety third T-shirts that everybody gives me grief about, but. You know, I mean, the reality is it's companies that say safety first. No, they don't. That's not the profits first. Revenue first. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> They're not. It's revenue, then it's safety at some point down the road. You know, and really in my lab, kind of this sounds sort of trite, but really like the, the first thing is kindness. And I mean, you saw this with everybody that works there. Everybody who works there is... Yeah, great crew. Yeah, great crew, happy to be there. They're stellar humans. And then innovation is the second thing. And unfortunately, sometimes when you're innovating, <laughs> like with when I was doing the, the high-pressure you know, hydrogen, um, yeah, I blew up the lab. Like I blew out the ceiling, blew out the walls, you know, and it was... Luckily, I was there by myself because I sent shrapnel for the containment vessel. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I sent it flying everywhere. So no fire, just explosion. No, just an explosion. <laughs> just a visceration of metal vessels flying as shrapnel. Yeah, like, yeah, cast um, cast aluminum shrapnel blowing across the lab. Yeah, it was Holy kinda... crap. <laughs> you didn't get any in you? No, I, I lucked out, actually. I literally had just been in front of the vessel and I had walked over to adjust the pressure on the side when the the entire thing went boom and blew out the wall and the ceilings and sent you know razor sharp shards of aluminum flying everywhere and yeah had it been maybe you know ten seconds earlier than that I I would have had an issue so wow yeah wow. Um, back to the water the wizard water mm -hmm. so I had one iteration of it when we were there yeah. now it's stronger at one hundred ppm yeah. is this going to be a commercial wizard sciences yeah. Products yeah, it is. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna release it. I think at first we'll just do it for people who have you know like current customers and subscriptions, just so it's kind of a special thing, so that you know like our crew gets to test out first. Oh, and, cool. Yeah, and then uh, and then I'm working with another group, and we're gonna do a version where it's deuterium depleted hyperoxygenated water. Ooh. And that's yeah, we came up with a new process to do deuterium depletion, so it'll be the cost of normal water. What? Yeah. What ppm deuterium water have, do you think you can do? Um, well, right out of the gate, it was 54. Wow. Yeah, so that was 54, wow. one, one pass. That's dilutable. Yeah, it is to dilutable. To still get up to 85 or whatever. Right, well, the, the big plus was, it, it goes back to that same thing. If you want to get widespread adoption, what do you work on first? Cost, right? Because I, mm -hmm. I always feel bad when I recommend, anytime somebody calls and says, oh, you know, I have a family member, or I have cancer or something like that, the first thing I tell them is get on a ketogenic diet, get some deuterium depleted water. But I always feel kind of guilty telling them to get deuterium depleted water because it's stupidly expensive. It is, yeah. And yeah. now I, I won't have that same kind of eh, wincing feeling. I'll just say, I'll oh, just you know, buy this stuff. It's yeah. far better. And for those listening, we'll put it in the show notes, but I, I have done uh, at least uh, three or four full episodes all about deuterium. So if people, you, you describe what it is, but the process of the water and how you get it out of your body and all the things we have covered uh, ad infinitum. Yeah. Um, so your wizard water will eventually be then deuterium depleted water infused with oxygen. Yeah, it'll, well, it'll be, it won't be wizard water. The wizard water will probably oh, okay. just stay the, uh, the hyperoxygenated thing. Oh, okay. But then this will be with a, another group that I partnered with out of California. And, oh, okay. You know, so we're doing that really cool. good guys. 
really good That's chemical awesome, engineers. Man, well, it, it needed to be done, right? It is a huge barrier to entry. And unless one is terminally ill and you're like, you know, you're selling all your shit and you're pulling your resources and yeah. people are helping to support you financially and whatnot. Um, for your average person who's just like, yeah, I want to be a little healthier, getting on a three or four month exclusive deuterium depleted water routine is pretty expensive. Yeah, you're going to spend about a grand doing it and most people won't do that. And, you know, the other thing is you don't, you feel a little bit of clarity, but it's not such a huge needle mover. I mean, if you have, if you're marginalized and you have some metabolic syndrome like cancer or something like that, yeah, it, I would say it's pivotal. There are probably 800 plus studies on PubMed and, you know, that, that some are NIH back that show very conclusively dropping your deuterium levels affects the outcome of cancer. And, and that's a really simple thing because you can look at, you can look at the uh, kind of the way cancer functions and say like cancer has to exist within a certain energetic threshold, right? If it depletes your cells too much, the cells die. If it goes too, too if the cells are too healthy and they have enough energy, then you're not going to get the cancer. Um, and actually there was a, a great paper in 2017 from a university in Spain um, in Bilbao that, that demonstrably showed that, that there was a very set metabolic threshold in terms of energetic potential where cancer could thrive. Above that, it didn't work. Below that, it didn't work. And so it, it tries to marginalize your physiology and keep it in that range. And so if you're marginalized and you take something that's going to instantly give you a boost of, say, 10% in terms of intracellular energy by, by virtue of dropping out the deuterium that's you know, inhibiting the cells, it's, it's worth its weight in gold you know, because you're already right in the threshold. Yeah. And the cool thing about the water is that you can very clearly tell that it's working because you can get a, uh, a deuterium test prior to doing a series of the water and you do a test afterward and it's remarkably low. Yeah. That's what happened for me. Yeah. I mean, that's cool those... to see. I mean, you can take supplements and you're like, I think I feel better. But, you know, until you do blood work or something that's quantifiable, you, you, you just have to trust, you know, the research behind it. And hope, well, it's hope actually really, those, those are great to do because you, the deuterium is really getting in, in your system. And like you were saying, if you're doing like vitamin C, right, you can take all the vitamin C you want. If it's not actually getting into your cells, it doesn't matter. You know, it's like having food just out of reach. You can, well, I have this huge spread of food, but I'm starving because I can't reach it. You know, if it's not inside your cells, it's not really helping you. You know, but with the deuterium, because it is definitively moving inside your cells because it's being processed mitochondrially, you can see that when you take those tests, you do get a correlation and say, oh, my level has dropped 100%. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I think mine went from 149 to 129. Yeah. Something like that. And, and like, that's what pretty did you good. notice physiologically? Did you feel better? I mean, to be honest... It's not something I can pinpoint. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, that's the problem with being as obsessed as I am with all this stuff. People ask me, did this thing work? Did that thing work? I'm like, I would have to live like <laughs> your average person, which I literally don't think I could do just because yeah, I know just, your daily routine. I'm too yeah. OCD, you know? <laughs> but I would just, you know, eat at, you know, go to the grocery store, eat regular GMO food, drink tap water, just live as baseline as most people in the world do. I mean, those that are fortunate enough to at least have groceries and tap water, many aren't. Well, let's just say the average American, right? Eat yeah. the standard American diet, exercise in a you know moderate way and do that for like three months and then do the deuterium thing and see how, how much better I feel or try wizard sciences, potions yeah. or whatever it is, you know, but it's kind of sucks because I can't really very easily do isolated tests 
Um, so something has to really move the needle for me to be like, holy shit. Like recently, for example, I started taking desiccated thyroid at the suggestion of a great doctor named uh, Craig Conover. And he's like, you don't even need to do thyroid tests. Just trust me. See how, Take this and see how you feel. I mean, within two weeks, I'm just, I can barely meditate in the afternoon because I have too much energy. I don't want to stop working and running around. Like I just don't get tired. That's awesome. And that's pretty much all I did differently. So every once in a while, something comes along that you're like, oh, shit. There's a before and after that I can differentiate. Well, you need that threshold, right? Like yeah. uh, one of the things I've noticed is like the Olympic serum for Wizard. Um, the people that get the biggest bump from that are athletes, right? Like I've had athletes call me. That, well, a lot of the top CrossFit athletes are using it now. And in, you know, one quarterback for a big NFL team. And those guys, because they're right at the very edge of what they're doing, like they... One of the CrossFitters called me, this fellow named Sam. He gave me a call and, and got my number and, and called and I just answered, you know, and he had all these questions. The first question was, is this legal? And I said, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's absolutely legal. You know, there's nothing that conflicts with water or USADA or any of those things. Yeah. And he said, well, I literally, after one dose, I did my best run ever and I lifted more than I've lifted in the past seven years, right? And And those guys... CrossFitters are insane in terms of like their metrics, how they track it, yeah. you know? And yeah. so they notice like something that gives them a huge boost. And it's, I mean, I don't know that I would notice it. I mean, it, I mean, granted, I just had a broken leg, so I haven't been like able to exercise for as of today, 15 weeks. But um, it's when you're, when you're really kind of pushing yourself, you can see the difference. If it's something where you're just kind of like, Meh, you know, you're probably not going to notice it. Yeah, I mean, I think elite athletes are are good beta testers for things because oh, they're so yeah. finely tuned and so sensitive. I mean, I, I you know don't know that many athletes, but the couple that I do know, um, you know, won't want to eat something suspect because they're going to notice three percent of that yesterday or the next day when they have to perform or in something like that. I mean, it's like one little push to uh, their detriment and yeah. it, it's much more meaningful than it is for your average person. Well, the uh, When I originally made the Olympic serum, the guys that were doing it, they were trying out for the Olympics for pole vaulting and what was hilarious is they all have this grip strength testers, right? Because when they're they're doing the approach, they have crazy strength and they, you know, because they have to rotate the pole as they're coming over it and so their forearms are really strong, their grip strength is off the charts and the, the testers, they were all like in the 160 range <clears throat> And the tester only went to 200. And they sent me a picture because one of the guys actually broke the tester. Are you serious? Yeah, I'll, say, I'll show you the picture. That's you can cool. Post it. It's hilarious because he actually shattered the thing. And he was consistently well over 200. And it's just, it's different potentiation. And it's a dose-dependent function, right? So the more you take, the more you're able to hyper-potentiate your muscles. So it's not that you're stronger. It's not that you're bigger. It's that you're actually getting better muscle recruitment. You know, and you get that signal to fire, so your muscle recruitment goes up. So pound for pound, you appear as if you're actually stronger. It's not that you're really stronger. It's just that you've got better muscle recruitment. Because you, your brain physiologically downregulates your firing capacity for your muscles to about 25 to 30% of what they actually can do unless you're in a fight or flight response. And so then they go off the charts. Like, you know, if it's ah, survival or death, uh, your body upregulates like your your ability to access that muscle and, and does all the skeletal muscle recruitment. But normally you get like 25 to 30 percent and that's it. I've been pretty much obsessed with the principles of quantum energy for years. Before any particle manifests physically, it exists as pure quantum energy, and that includes our bodies. 
and every person constantly interacts with other quantum energy fields. But things like EMF and toxic air, food, and water diminish our body's energy. And this, my friends, is why I use Leela Quantum products every day. Walk through my house and you'll see them everywhere, like the quantum block on our kitchen island, for example, which we use to charge our food, drink, and supplements to increase their nourishing potential. Leela Quantum develops and studies its quantum products to help mitigate harmful EMF effects, activate the body's self-healing powers, and strengthen our biofield. The pure quantum energy they use is also part of every cell. It's a form of source energy. It's natural and very real. And there's a long list of randomized, placebo-controlled, single- and double-blind studies proving the many effects of Leela Quantum products. Leela Q products neutralize EMF, optimize HRV, and improve the blood. This has been shown in the various studies to which I referred, as you can see for yourself right on their website. To upgrade your life with Leela Quantum's pure quantum energy right now, visit LeelaQ.com and get 10% off your first order with the code LUKE10. That's L-E-E-L-A-Q, LeelaQ.com. Oh, that's interesting. Well, while we're at it, I was going to ask you about this because I've been on this stuff for, I don't know, maybe six months or something, maybe mm-hmm. even longer. Um, the um, Olympic RX, for those watching here, by Wizard Sciences. And I just remember telling you telling me something about, yeah, yeah, it makes you stronger. And I was like, great, I need that. <laughs> so I just took it, but I didn't really, because I just know you and trust you. I just think if anything you make has always been awesome. So I was like, ah, oh, whatever he says, I'm going to take. Um, but how does it work? I never actually found out. Like, what's in it? What's the mechanism of action? Okay, so there, there are a couple of different things. So the first thing is lipofullerenes, right? So that's a carbon-60 bound to a lipid. And so in that case, it's oleic acid, which is like olive oil, right? So that you use that because it moves through the cell membranes and goes to most of your skeletal muscle. And it actually moves the nanosphere through the membrane, and then the nanosphere delocalizes and goes to the mitochondria. And it... it Locks in the mitochondrial membrane. There's a good NIH. This paper is what C60 does. Yeah, this is what the C60. Oh, that's doing. crazy. It's that small, huh? Oh yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, 1.1 nanometers wide, so it's really tiny. Wow. Yeah. So it it goes how, down. How, how many nanometers is a cell? Oh, thousands, right? <laughs> oh, so, really? Yeah. Well, like if you look at like a say, you could say like 20 microns or something like that. So oh, okay. You know, I mean, like thousands. Yeah. Okay, so like if I put my arms in a circle like this, this is the cell <laughs> and the C60 is like a pinprick? It's, yes, it's a little bit. Wow, okay. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah, very, cool. very, very tiny. It's like, you know, you're talking things at atomic scale, you know, so very, very small stuff. Um, things that you can measure like 11 angstroms. I mean, it's measured in the measurements that you use when you're measuring atomic particles and things like that. So really tiny stuff. And so it, yeah, it delocalizes and then it hits the mitochondrial membrane and stays wedged there. And so when your body's making energy, you you are always exposed to free radicals and oxidative stress and it negates that, right? So it's actually, it's surprisingly good as both an accept, electron acceptor and donor, kind of like methylene blue, right? It can function in both capacities. Um, so it blocks oxidative stress. And so what we found early on was that when you do that, it, it negates somewhere between 18 and 58.3% of the oxidative stress load. So you get a shift when you measure ATP, you get that much of a bump, which is a huge bump, right, in ATP output. And that's literally just from blocking system loss. So that was kind of my first pass at doing that years ago. And then I went back and, and shifted it so that I would add other things to it. So 
uh, NMN and resveratrol, right? Because in a balanced combo, those things actually, they don't block system loss. They actually add in because they're NAD precursors, or at least NMN is. So it's an NAD precursor. So it actually gives you the potential to make more energy. So I started breaking down the different complexes. So then I put CoQ10 in, and then I upregulated the energy inside the cells across different complexes of the electron transport chain. So you can boost up all of the different aspects. So you block the system loss, then you increase the potential. So you end up with a much more robust energetic platform. And then I started thinking, okay, well, what else can I do? Well, I can make more mitochondria. So then there's PQQ, the purely pyroloquinoline quinone. And so that stimulates mitochondrial biogenesis. So you actually end up with more little power plants in your cell. So then you can have more and more energies, right? So you, you increase the density of it. And so over time, you, you literally get stronger because you've got instead of, you know, anybody can ramp up a, like a Ford Fiesta to 600 horsepower. Over time, your motor is going to blow. So you want to distribute that load over, say, like, you know, a V12. It's, you know, it's much easier to keep 600 horsepower. It's just humming along very nicely, right? So that's what that does is over the time you take it, it drops inflammatory response, knocks out oxidative stress, and then increases the amount of mitochondria you have. So the longer you take it, the more of a beneficial effect it's going to have. And you're just going to get stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger. That's funny. Well, it wasn't too long before I started taking the, or after I started taking the thyroid that I got on this. So I wonder, oh, that's yeah, the thing, man. like sometimes I'm like, oh, it was that thing. But I also started something else new and powerful around the same time. That's, that's interesting though, that now that I think about it, because I, I use this when I go work. I at least work out one day a week. That's my commitment to myself. Sundays I go to ARX and I kill myself in, in a positive sense. And what I'll do is I'll put your... Um, Olympic RX with some electrolytes, um, some Keon aminos, um, and some beet juice, uh, red juice from Organifi. See, I, they run ads on my show. See, I really use this shit, you guys. <laughs> but I make this really like vasodilator, yeah. massive amino acid, creatine if I have it around. And then I put this stuff in there and I drink a bunch before I get on the machine, which is, for those listening, I mean, imagine like a robot trying to kill you. I mean, ARX is... <laughs> It is hardcore, actually. It's not like normal resistance training. I mean, weights could never do this because your range of motion would get tweaked and you would break a bone or tear a ligament or something. So it's super, super hard. But I drink that. And then during, in between sets, I do two sets because that's all you really can handle. Um, I'll drink the rest of it and I crush it. I don't get fatigued. My ears don't ring. Like I don't, what happens to me is not normal. No, or at least the lack of what's well. It's funny that you say that, right? Because you you use this stuff, right? Like the Keon aminos. I I was telling Ben Greenfield, like he asked me a couple weeks ago if if there was anything I needed. I said, yeah, some more aminos, because I like I actually use that stuff because there are products. I mean, we we all know, like in the health and wellness space, there are some products that are just exemplary that we all use, right? Like if you go to everybody's house, you're going to see them. (laughs) Yeah, totally, totally. Yeah, (laughs) which is kind of funny because I literally I walked downstairs in your place and I was like, ah, well, that's a familiar bottle. But you know, this I'm scratching my own itch too because like I take it every day, right? So I start my day out, I'll heat up some water. Or actually what I've been doing lately is I take um, V8 juice and I put a tablespoon of that in my V8 juice and then a gram of NMN in addition to what's in there. Yeah, actually what I found, one of my friends is a genetics professor and he had been taking NMN really heavily for a long time because he was one of the guys that figured out, you know, it was there. And uh, he started taking that stuff and his testosterone number skewed up 300 points over a month. Yeah. I mean, which is a pretty 
profound shift, yeah, right? I'll take that. Yeah. And so I was like, huh, well, that's an idea. So I started just upping mine to like one gram of NMN and then a tablespoon of that. And just and if you put it in the V8, like you don't taste it. Because yeah. it's it's funny because I've done the, the base compounds that are in that. I've done it now for like almost 12 years, I guess. 10, 10 no, actually not 12, 10, 10 years, so a little over 10 years. And I still loathe the taste, right? Like the it the doesn't bother RX, me at all. Man, I don't know how Neither you guys do that. Like neural, I'm fine with. It's great. Well, I, I, you know, I like the taste of the neural RX. It has. I don't know what it is in there, but it is a very specific, unique taste. The combination of things or something, nothing else on the planet tastes like that. And I, I don't think most people would drink it because it tastes good. But <laughs> it's, I kind of, but I kind of crave it. Like I just drink it out of the bottle, uh, right? when I wake up and yeah. oftentimes before podcasts and we can talk about how it works. But I had some this morning. I was like, I got to ask Ian, like, why does this taste good? It has this very, there is kind but of it's not flavor or anything. It's not like, Ooh, this is pineapple. It's no, it's almost like a metallic taste in a way, but it's good. Well, I think part of that is I, I did this uh, thing with horses a while back and I was kind of like doing this equestrian thing, trying to figure out a different formula for different mammals. And so when I did the thing with horses, the first day I brought up the serum that I had made for the horses and it was in an oleic acid base, right? So olive oil base with a bunch of other compounds, beta alanine, things to upregulate, you know, how they'd function and then things to drop joint stress. And the, the first day I put it on their oats and they were like a little, a little reserved about it. And then the, uh, the second day, you know, I'm a, I'm a big guy, I'm almost 300 pounds. And the second day, one of these horses came out, it was like a 1500 pound horse and it came over and I was trying to get everything prepped and it wanted it like it was right there and it wanted it and so it just casually moved up next to me with its head and swatted me and like <laughs> launched me so it could get the oats and i was like okay big critter you know <laughs> but it's i think you do kind of you know like day one it was eh, but day two it wanted it Right, so there's something biologically signaling yeah. your brain to go more of that. Thank you. Well, I know that uh, in the clinical trials I did with canines, like seven eight years ago, um, the, the woman who was proctoring the trial, and it was a place in Pennsylvania, she called me and on day one, and was like, "Yeah, I got him to take it." And then day two, she said, "Okay, so we're having kind of a weird effect." And I was like, "What's up?" And Alyssa said, um, "Well." The first day they took it, we got them to take it and they were okay with it. The second day when we were, they were keeping the, the dogs in, in a pen with two dogs in each pen, um, the dogs were trying to lick it out of the other dog's mouth oh as <laughs> they God. were administering it. So I was like, well, actually those dogs just, they're very affectionate. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You're like, I put dog oxytocin in there. Well, that's funny you mentioned that because uh, when I give your pet formula to Cookie, with a C60 or something mm -hmm. in there, um, she has a lot of energy. Like oh, there's yeah. been days where I give it to her and then I forget. I'm like, what is her problem? She needs a walk. And it's like, no, she's yeah. actually hyped from that stuff, I think. Unless no, it, it is. I mean, we noticed that too. That's, that's one of the things. And there's no placebo effect with dogs. So you can see like, I've seen multiple times where dogs can't walk they can't jump and then they can. Like with mine, you know, that was the the big, I tested it on myself way back when first to make sure it was, I knew the safety profile because it's basically carbon, right? It wouldn't be bad because carbon detoxifies your system. But I tested it on myself first and then my dog was a great Pyrenees Golden Retriever mix, like the 2XL Golden. 
And he had gotten to the point where he couldn't get up in the bed with me. And so he would, it was totally sad. He'd put his front paws up and then he'd like slink up next to me. And then when he would get off, he would put his paws on the ground and then pull himself off until his hind legs plopped. And he was, at the time, I want to say he was maybe five and a half. And it was totally depressing. So I, after I tested it on myself, I started giving it to him. And within three weeks, he was literally running and jumping up on the bed again and had like just ridiculous boundless energy and i was like oh this is this is cool you know because dogs they're, they're great like yeah. they don't have a placebo effect so you can see like if they feel good they'll respond and so it you know it gave me like an extra three years of you know good time with him before he you know got really impinged. speaking of dogs look at this hey well you're so right about the placebo and dogs because um sometimes if we're going to take cookie to um, an event where there's a lot of excitement and mm-hmm. she could potentially bother someone by being too happy and cute uh, and loud. Um, I give her some CBD and she hates it. I used to try to like hold her mouth open and squirt it in. It was torturous for her. So I figured out I could um, put it in like her little dehydrated liver treats and stuff. Yeah. So I put it in there and on a few occasions, I'm sorry about this cookie. I didn't, I kind of eyeballed it, you know, and it was like half a dropper of like the, um, the element um, uh, 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 CBD, which is now I learned quite strong. And then a few hours later, we're out with Cookie and we're like, what is wrong with her? Just ah. Ah, totally comatose. <laughs> and I was like, I, think, I don't think it's going to hurt her and I'll, you know, I'll be more mindful. It actually happened the other night, to be honest, because um, I just wasn't really paying attention. So and, from your perspective, she's like comatose. From her perspective, she's like, I mean, yeah, she's awesome. probably feeling great. <laughs> but it was kind of reassuring to me because I know I'm not wasting my money on CBD. Like it definitely relaxes your nervous system oh, at yeah. the very least you know I, I remember the first time i actually looked at that molecule it was about five years ago and i had never played with it before and a company in california reached out to me and they wanted me to develop some products for them a, a vape actually back in the day and so i i did all this kind of weird stuff with it made mixed it with a pulmonary surfactant so that it would you know open the cilia and the lungs and kind of like you you would do with a preemie baby right you open the cilia up so that since they can't breathe they can bring in a lot more oxygen and the effects were profound. Like I didn't realize just what a cool molecule it was. You can do all sorts of really great things with it. Yeah. I, I always thought it was hype until I finally found some good brands. You know, yeah. like there's this company Onda and Ned and then Element. Like those are the only three that I take and I go, holy shit. Like I, or I track my sleep. I'll take yeah. a, I mean, to be honest, a mega dose, like way above the recommended, <laughs> but I really want to sleep and I'll take a bunch. And I'm like, God damn, sure enough on the nights that I take it, my sleep scores are better. Oh yeah. And, I, and I just wake up knowing like, wow, I was really deep, you know? I mean, that's the thing is a lot of this stuff, it, it is, you know, we're all trying to scratch our own itch and find, like, I'm kind of agnostic about it. Like the stuff I'm making is I think the, the best thing that I can do right now, hopefully, you know, five years from now, I'll have something that's way better right. or somebody else will have found something that's way better. In which case, I will take that, <laughs> you know, totally, yeah, like yeah, for sure. Because ultimately, all this stuff is just about what makes you perform at the highest level possible, right? Like, so for me, it's what can I do to drop out neural inflammation and enhance neural potentiation and get you know clarity mentally? Because I, I mean, obviously, I'm I've played with nootropics for you know the better part of a decade now, and I'm always trying to push myself to figure out like what can I do, how can I pace myself up. And I, I used to be kind of maniacal about it. I, I would get on the Cambridge Brain Sciences website and track my performance on everything. Really? Oh, you are a nerd. Yeah, I am. Yeah, I am. Like, I, well, you know, actually, that was when I when I started looking at nootropic stacks and the effects of what you could do. I was doing that, and I could never like exceed the eighty third percentile. So I really like took six months and really 
delved into like, what does this nootropic do and that nootropic and came up with like my ultimate stack for them. And when I hit that stack, it, it was literally the color changed, you know, like things like coloracetam, they actually will change your color perception. And it's like the lights come on. And I remember thinking like, holy shit, this is what it's like to be brilliant. And then like four hours later, I'm just me again. Normal. Have you tried any of the Nootopia stuff? No, I haven't. Oh man, dude. I mean, I've had a lot of great nootropics. Um, mostly isolated like mm-hmm. the racetams and modafinil and all kinds of different stuff um but the newtopia stuff it's made by the bioptimizers guys mm-hmm. yeah uh this guy goes by mr newts mr. mark newts. mark ellinger <laughs> uh he was on the show great guy um but he had a problem to solve right yeah. I, I forget the the particulars of his story but essentially he's like all right i've tried all these nootropics but like i want to really nail it and so he went kind of deep into the research mm-hmm. like that and their formulas dude i mean Luckily for me, they're and if they're listening, thank you and don't stop. But they send me a box every month. I never signed up for it. <laughs> guy was on my podcast. Maybe he enjoyed himself. And I'm like, thank God. But dude, this stuff is legit. I and will be trying some. Yeah, of that. and there's it's really cool the way they did it too because um, there's a little kind of a guidebook that comes with it, and so there's maybe ten different formula, mm-hmm. right? Um, some of them in powders, but most of them in capsules with some kind of lipid in there or something, right? And sometimes it's a capsule within a capsule, you know, because they're breaking up at different times. Uh, But anyway, the the way that they advise you to do it, which I think is really smart, is you take one at a time and you track your progress and it's kind of a workbook, right? And then, you know, by the end of the first month, you'll have an idea of which ones do what for you in your own unique biochemistry, which is really cool. Of course, I didn't do that. <laughs> yeah. I'm psycho. And I just was like, I'll take all at once and then scale back from there if I feel weird, you know, which is not how I advise doing things. But even just barely following their suggestions mm-hmm. and it, what is useful is they show you which ones stack well with others and which one, well, they don't tell you which ones don't, but you just assume, okay, if it says brain flows good with the apex then i'm going to try those and every combination i've done has worked beautifully and they're just freaking awesome they're one of i don't know if they're still one of our sponsors but they they have you know run some i will some ads 100% on the show. be on that dude it's i mean out of all the nootropic stuff i've tried god bless the other companies but no one's come close it's I, i'm gonna have to send you some of the new stuff because i i hadn't actually really worked on like making my own nootropic until now and, oh, cool. Yeah, so you, you'll get some in the next month or so. You might be a contender. I might be well, a contender. I, you know, I, to that note, uh, I, I did actually, before I got their stuff, and I was you know, taking Qualia or Prastam, just different mm-hmm. things I had laying around, and I think I benefited from all those, microdosing, LSD, mm-hmm. psilocybin, whatever. Uh, those things I think of kind of as nootropics, but your um, neural RX, when you started sending it to me years ago when I was back in L.A., Yeah. And I remember we had a talk one day, and I think it was after I did my Dr. Amen scan. Mm-hmm. The, um, yeah, it was. Yeah. yeah, and I was like, oh man, there's all these areas in my brain that don't have blood flow. He wants me to do 100 hyperbaric chambers, so I got the chamber. And you told me about, you know, I don't know how much detail you want to go into publicly, but you told me a story essentially where someone had, it was Alzheimer's or dementia. It was Alzheimer's. Hardcore, mm-hmm. and you wanted to solve that problem, so you made this formula yeah. and started taking it. And I thought, well... If it'll work for that, like I'm just probably impaired from a lot of drugs when I was a kid, to be honest. Yeah. And just hard living. Um, so if it helped that person, surely it's going to do something for me. And it did. It was like noticeably, I felt like, oh, yeah. I felt like I had like 
plaque in my brain. <laughs> that's, that's actually I literally I don't know that what I, it is. Oh, okay. I didn't know that I did, but it just felt like gummy. You know, here I'm doing all these things to be healthy and I'm still just like sluggish. It was annoying as hell. So. Well, so that, so that was that was the impetus for developing that was to fix that one specific problem. And so there are a lot of neurodegenerative conditions that if people have them, that'll benefit them. Um, but if they don't have them, then it just seems like a really good nootropic because everybody, Alzheimer's and dementia and a lot of those things, they're, they're, funny because how they function, it's not really like a disease. Like my assessment is Alzheimer's isn't actually a disease. It's a protective mechanism, but it's gone on too long, right? So if you live to be 80, you're going to build up all these plaques and tau proteins and things because what happens is like around your midsection, um, you've got this lacy band called the omentum, O-E-M-E-N-T-U-M. And if you take something that's going to alter your blood pH, you'll sequester some of that and you'll, you know, trap the acidity in the omentum, right? When, and it should be this little thin lacy band, but in our culture, because everybody's sucking down too much, you know, carbohydrate loading, uh, you know, it's way too high. You end up with this like thick visceral adipose tissue kind of thing. I think I have some of that. You know, I'm familiar. I, yeah. After 15 <laughs> weeks of not doing any exercise, I definitively have that myself. Um, but your brain, of course, has the same thing, right? So whether you have something endogenous like P. gingivalis in your mouth or exogenous like glyphosate, when your brain gets exposed to it, it wraps it in a protein or in, you know, a plaque and, and just packs it away because it, it's trying to buffer your brain from getting impacted detrimentally. So over the span of your lifetime, you know, you're going to build those little things up in those pockets and that plaque starts to build up. And you have a system called the glymphatic system, right? Which is this little subset in your brain that only opens up for a couple of hours at night. And it basically it washes your brain with interstitial fluid and cerebrospinal fluid. And it literally washes it, right? And then it takes the debris out and it perfuses into your lymph system and then you excrete it. Well, as you get older and you have less cellular energy, your glymphatic system becomes less effective. And unfortunately, you end up with more and more plaques over time. So you're trying to basically move boulders with a garden hose and that's not going to work. Especially right? if you're not getting great deep sleep, right? Yeah. And, and that's is actually... deep sleep when, you're, when your brain yeah, does that process? It is. And so that, that's, the, that's the problem is when you're asleep and that's supposed to be purging, if you're not getting good sleep and you, you have a weakened system, everything is kind of conspiring against you in the most detrimental way. So I put in proteolytic enzymes so that they would actually... And, there was really good research from Japan showing these particular enzymes. You have enzymes. that in there? Yeah. Well, like serapeptase? Yeah, serapeptase. Are you serious? Yeah, 100%. That's funny because I take these uh, uh, MitoLife mm -hmm. enzymes, the enteric-coated ones. Yeah. I take like, I don't know, six to 10 of those every morning on an empty stomach. They're great. Because I'm trying to get the, the fibrin you know, out of my body, mm -hmm. tense muscles and God knows where else it is. But I just, I feel as I'm getting older, I'm like, you know, getting more contracted physically. So, I'm well, that's happening to all of us. That's the thing is, I mean, you know, we're not really escaping aging. We're slowing it down. And you know, there are definitively some things you can do that roll it back. Like my friend Dave Sinclair has got, you know, this, this, he's using a viral vector to actually roll the clock back on some things and, you know, distribute. They're using uh, the Yamanaka factors, right? Like um, these just different genetic factors and they've come up with a viral vector where they can put it in and then they, they stimulate it using drugs and, and it turns on. And the, the problem to my way of thinking with that is... <laughs> I see a lot of problems already. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, what's funny is if you think about it just kind of at the outset, Viral vectors are great, but they don't distribute evenly across all systems, right? So if you're if you're rolling the clock back on, say, your eyes, that's great because you can do a localized injection there. But if you're trying to do a system-wide thing, some systems are going to decrease. 
overall, it'll take load off. Your telomeres might lengthen in some areas, and but but it's not going to be perfectly balanced, right? So you you know extrapolating on that, you might end up with you know a seventy year old liver and you know a thirty five year old kidney. And not to say that that's exactly the case, but right, but right. it's not like that. You don't get a perfect distribution curve on that. You it's know? like selective anti aging. Yeah, I mean there there are a lot of guys like Shiafrati's thing with the hyperbaric oxygen that they were showing age regression in that and telomere lengthening and white blood cell counts going up and a lot of really good factors. There's Greg Fahey who's doing the thymic regeneration technology. Then there's um, like regen. Generating the thymus? Yeah. Oh, actually, wow. Yeah. Doesn't the thymus shrink considerably as it, we age? It does, actually. Yeah, and Greg has rolled that back. He's a really neat cat. He's probably the world's leading expert on cryogenics in, in terms of... He's actually figured out a system where you can freeze organs and then thaw them and reuse them. It's, it's yeah, Whoa. really brilliant, actually. Really neat stuff. And uh, and then there's, you know, Tato Vakaitis, who's doing like the, the, the V-cell therapies and things like that. And those things, if you get enough of those in your system over time, that shows age regression as well. So there's a lot of guys that are doing that, but we're still, we're all kind of pushing back on it. And you get the same thing with C60, right? Like a lot of that, it really slows the aging curve, but it's not necessarily entirely halting it. I think we're, we're all doing a good job of it. And I can think of five or six of us who are really making some huge strides, but over time, just like your brain, you build up these these plaques and proteins, and it's just going to happen. So the serapeptase, you know, you break it into small components, then the glymphatic system can actually process those out. And so then every day when you take it, you end up with a little less debris and a little bit more flow. And then one of the things that, that's really different about this is it actually triggers uh, neurogenesis, right? So you you actually stimulate and you're pumping out new neurons at a rate of like two to three to one, as opposed to BDNF and NGF1, which are brain-derived neurotrophic factor and neural growth factor one, which are your body's endogenous compounds to propagate new neurons. So this will trigger an outpacing of those by like a factor of two or three. But wow, it sounds cool, but the, the thing that people don't realize is your, your brain is insanely resource consumptive, right? So it accounts for two to 3% of your body mass, but uses 20 to 25% of your oxygen, right? So neurons are insanely consumptive of resources. So what happens is every day you get these new neurons just from your, everybody does, right? Like if you do this, you get two or three times as many, but your body does the same process called synaptic pruning. If it goes in and just goes, that's great, kill them. You know, because it doesn't want to have this drain on your system because it's always trying to optimize what's beneficial. So what I always tell people is if you're doing this stuff around week three, once it's really perfused in your system and you're starting to pump out new neurons, learn something entirely new. And what, what happens there is if you're putting your brain under a different cognitive load, you'll actually cement the neurons into place. Oh, rad. Yeah. And, and so wow. that's, that's when you actually start getting some real benefit is because over time, you end up with a much more robust brain. You know, but you've, it's kind of a bitch because you actually have to really push yourself. Like, I mean, I've learned juggling and rapping and like all sorts of things <laughs> that I would not have thought that I would do. Okay, you have to rap on the show. I'm not going to put you on the spot right now, but... You know what? So one of my kids was joking with me and there was this... Uh, have you rapped in front of your kids? Oh, yeah. Did they disown you? No, actually, my, my kids were kind of mortified at first. And there's a, a guy named Logic who's a rapper. And he does this song called 100 Miles and Running. And you can hop on my Instagram. It's at, at Ian Mitchell one And my kids were teasing me because I was like, well, that sounds insanely complex. I mean, because verbally, you have to articulate this stuff. And the pacing is really difficult. You know, I'm a, I'm a jazz musician by training, right? So it's, you know, that kind of 
expression is really cool to me. Like you're you're trying to do something creative. So I was like, okay, well, I've never done anything like that. I'll I'll do that because verbally it's really demanding. But yeah, you can hop on my Instagram page. I'll show it to you afterwards. Oh it's kind of hilarious, but it's very fast and very difficult, but it it was different. And at the end of it, I was like, ooh, hmm, well, I feel a little, I feel a little better. You know, and I just, but I always have to find new things to push myself. And because at, at the end of the day, hopefully I'm doing things, a lot of it is like meditation, right? When you, when you go into a deep meditation, you're stimulating more than 80% of your entire cerebral cortex. And that doesn't generally happen unless you have an orgasm that lasts more than three minutes. And unfortunately, I haven't done all the, you know, like the <laughs> hardcore tantric training to do that. And, you know, women seem to have a much easier go of having an orgasm that'll last more than three minutes as opposed to a guy. So um, it, it was either hardcore meditation or tantric training, and so I did. I did. I did the hardcore meditation. So. Let's take a minute here, as I would love to share my latest discovery with you, lifestyleist listeners. As soon as I tried this product, I became instantly obsessed, and it's now officially a non-negotiable ingredient in my morning smoothie and sometimes even coffee. First time I tried it, I felt focused, uh, my mind was clear, and it continues to improve my mental performance on the daily. I actually had some in my smoothie this morning and will likely do another scoop in some water for my afternoon work block to keep this brain pumping. You're probably hip to the superpowers of mushroom extracts and collagen protein. Well, the product I'm talking about here contains the most hyper-concentrated forms of four of the best brain-boosting mushrooms, so that's lion's mane, chaga, cordyceps, and reishi, plus collagen protein and Peruvian cacao. This magic in a jar, my friends, is called Collagenius, and I love that it turns your brain on without any jitters or crash whatsoever. It's super clean brain energy. So if you're getting beat down with the old brain fog, have difficulty focusing, and want to repair your brain in the most natural way, you definitely want to check this stuff out. Here's what you do. Go to newtopia.com slash lukegenius and use the code luke10 at checkout and save 10%. That's N-O-O-T-O-P-I-A, newtopia.com slash lukegenius. And check this out. Newtopia, the company that makes College Genius, is so confident that you'll love this product that they offer a 365-day money-back guarantee. So uh, there's no risk for you here to check this out. Again, your link is newtopia.com slash lukegenius and the code is luke10. Do it now, you guys. Your brain will thank you. Yeah, um... You mentioned something, did you say gingivitis or something? What were you talking oh, about? P. gingivalis, right? What's it that? Just, it, so when you get gingivitis, it's from a bacterium called P. gingivalis. And a lot of times because of the proximity to your brain, that stuff will actually get in your bloodstream and sometimes pass the blood-brain barrier. And it's inflammatory and it can cause, uh, cause issues. Right? So it's a bacteria in the gums right. that can migrate through the blood-brain barrier into yeah. the brain. Well, and the other thing that's really kind of profound about this is it changes insulin receptivity in your brain. And that's huge because a lot of times it's also, it's based in caprylic acid, which is, you know, the, the carbonate chain. So it's the CA chain, which is just one specific fraction of coconut oil. And it's the most bioavailable component. So it goes to your liver instead of going through your, your normal digestive process. It hits your liver, fractionates into ketone bodies, and then the ketone bodies move and localize in your brain. And your brain can use ketones for energy instead of just using glucose, right? So, so, the, so you, you've kind of baked in 
an alternate delivery mm-hmm. mechanism as well. Yeah. Rather than having to be processed by the GI. Right, because I wanted to get everything uh, to the I brain. I was wondering, I was, one of my questions on my list here was why do you use the C8, the yeah. caprylic, caprylic, why do you say it? Caprylic. Caprylic acid. Yeah. yeah, because really, so you've got, when you talk about MCTs, right, medium chain triglycerides, you've got C6, C8, C10, and C12. C10 and C12 actually act as if they're long chains. It's only C6 and C8 that act as medium chains. C8 is capric, or rather C6 is capric, which is, you know, like from capra for goat. And it's not the most pleasant thing to ingest ever, and it smells really weird. So C8 is far better. It's more bioavailable, and you don't smell like a goat. Um, now, if you're not used to processing it, and this is what I always tell people, go slow. You know, start with like half teaspoon or a teaspoon twice a day because it, it will wreak havoc on your you might GIs. Have to change your pants. Yes, it will wreak havoc on you. But over the span of a week, your body adapts to it. Yeah, I, f- I found I acclimated to yeah. it. Yeah, because I just, quickly. like I said, I just drink this stuff now. I do too, but it's, you know, I mean, I've been using it for years and it's, it's, uh, it is, it's profound. I mean, it makes a difference. It's, there are lots of kids that have things like, there, there was a, a woman who reached out and her son had a disease called pandas or a syndrome called pandas. And he had been walking on his toes for a year. And after four days, I think it's somewhere on the, on the wizard scientist's feet. After four days, it was the first time in a year he had actually started walking flat you know, putting his feet down. So it, it does, it elicits really profound changes neurally very quickly. And so I'm, I'm actually very happy with that. You know, I mean, yeah, the me goal too. is, yeah, the goal is to help people and get things out there. And so I'm just using, you know, the body's kind of own inherent wisdom, right? Like caprylic acid, it takes things to the brain. Oleic acid, it's going to go through skeletal muscle. And then there are a lot of other different types of lipids that I'm trying to do very specific things and I want to hit certain targets. Like if I want to take people with TBIs, right? What do you use? EPA, DHA, right? Because you want, you want to be able to retool the brain. And so cod liver oil is, you know, ideal for that, right? Like there's, there's certain things that you want and the body already does that. You know, you don't have to do the Western approach of pharmaceuticals where you just try and hammer it with one thing. Just let the body do what it does. Right. I, I always um, like that perspective. It's, it's like you, you just have to stop doing the things that hurt your body and yeah. have a few inputs that help your body. And then it's the thing that's doing it though, right? Oh, yeah. It's not like, oh, I healed this. It's like, no, I just got out of the goddamn way and stopped being stupid. And the body went, thank you, and healed itself. Yeah, and if you give it like all the right tools, like, you know, you were up a couple of weeks ago and I was I was limping around. No, I'm no longer limping. I saw no cane today. Yeah, no cane, right? Yeah, and so... If, Today or tonight will make 15 weeks ago that you know I had absolutely obliterated my leg and my femur was inside of my tibia. And it, you know, so the femoral condyle, the curve on the bottom of my femur had punched through the top of the tibial condyle and split my tibia six inches down. Um, in, a, in a motorcycle, in a motorcycle wreck. Yeah, yeah. face I, face planting at 65 miles an hour. How did? Yeah, how did? I'm trying to see how the centrifugal force pushed the upper part of your bone leg bone into the lower one well it was when i was rolling the bike <laughs> it it caught sideways on the ground and and popped it and so oh, yeah when God. i was carted into the hospital it was askew at a very unnatural angle were you wearing a helmet yeah yeah oh, I was do you guys have helmet. to wear helmets there yeah you do in, yeah. in oklahoma yeah. i don't think you do here in texas i, I see that seems like a real mistake to <laughs> i me. see people out there i mean it's kind of nostalgic for me because Back in my day, you'd all hop in the back of the pickup truck and get hauled around, or you'd ride your dirt bikes all over the place, no helmets, you know. Yeah. So, well, I'm glad I, I mean, was hey, I do think it's dumb, but I also like that the law here says if you want to be dumb, you have that right. 
Yeah, I think I think there it is. In fact, required legally to do it. I I would have done it either way though, because I yeah. you know I don't want to be brain dead. It's unfortunately a patch of gravel got me. <laughs> so when you're driving and you're trying to turn and suddenly you realize that you're basically in a frictionless environment, you have no control, and then <laughs> wah, bah, 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 oh, you start rolling. Yeah, it was a. Uh, uh, you know, almost 700 pounds rolling on top of me, slamming me into the ground. It was less oh less than thrilling. But, you know, the thing was, I mean, I did stem cell injections. I used the, the quantum block. I did all of my nanoparticle serums. I did um, PEMF and lasers and er every modality I knew how to do. And because initially the first day I was in there, the orthopedic surgeon said, this is a horrible break. We're going to have to put you back together with pins and plates and screws. And you'll actually be able to see the metal sticking out through your skin, like, you know, pressing. Terminator press. style. Yeah, it was, you know, we're not out through it. But he, I, he said that I would very clearly be able to see everything and that I might want to come back later and do something cosmetic. And I, and I remember saying, really, that's like, that's the best we have? And he said, yeah, that's, it has to be that way because, you know, it's split six inches down. And I said... Yeah, I don't think I'm going to do that. So I actually got discharged and I called my staff and said, guys, go buy a hospital bed, set it up at the lab. And we did that. And so, you know, I was back up at, at the 11 day mark and I was, I didn't do any pins or plates or anything. And I was walking at just, just shy of eight weeks, I think I was walking and then, you know, got my all clear at nine weeks and it's been, it'll be 15 weeks tonight. You must have really pissed off the orthopedic surgeon. <laughs> I, he, you know, it was actually, it was funny. Like the first week I went in because I had been doing all this stuff and I'd been doing PEMF coils every hour on the hour. Kind what of a kind thing. of a, a PEMF unit were you using? I, I was using the pulse centers. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah oh, those so, are strong. Yeah. They're super strong. And it's like so, a racehorse strength. Yeah. And actually that's what I did is I got the, I got the veterinary version. I, oh, oh, I did, you know, cause they're, they're pricey. They're like 30, 40K for a yeah, unit. So yeah. I leased a unit from a veterinarian at the, oh, no way. That's uh, yeah, smart. At the OSU uh, vet school. So that's smart. Yeah. There's no, it's no accident. I don't have one of those in the house. Yeah, they're <laughs> crazy like, expensive. Yeah. yeah. yeah that's a, that's so a I did big that. Investment. Well, I mean, it made a huge difference though. Right. So I, I do my leg where the break was and then my collarbone where the break was. And, and, at a week, I went back into the orthopedic surgeon and I said, hey, look, check this out. And and he said, oh, well, your swelling's down. You know, you can't have any bone growth yet. It's There's no radiographic change. It's just, it's because there's a decrease in inflammation. I said, I'm, I'm pretty sure there's something going on there. And he said, no, it's not possible yet. And I said, well, I'd like the x-rays. And he said, that's pointless. And I said, you know, I'm buying. So, <laughs> so I got the, I got carted off down the hall and I did the x-rays and he came back in about 10 minutes later with his iPad and he kind of looked flummoxed and he said, do you see that? And I said, yeah. And he goes, that's a new bone, right? He said, like, it's, there's new bone there already. And I said, great. And he goes, huh. And his response actually, this cracked me up because I suppose you are smarter than the average bear, you know, because like, in biohacking spaces, you, you get exposed to things. Like I knew that there had been a lot of people that had seen just tremendous bone growth from that. And you can, you can stimulate bones using, you know, sonic things, electromagnetic things, electrical things. And so I was just trying to get something to get in there and really trigger, you know, the osteoblast and really get that thing moving. And it did. So in the span of a week, I mean, I'll, I think I sent you the pictures actually because it was so funny. Like one weekend, you can see that the bone is reconnected because it went from being completely askew to being reconnected with new bone going across. So crazy how the, um, what is it, like the morphogenic field of your leg knows where the bone's supposed to be. And yeah. then even though it's not in the right place and there's all this muscle surrounding it that would 
theoretically keep it not in the right place, the bone on this side and the bone on this side were like, hmm, I think we're supposed to be together. And it, <laughs> with the right inputs, right, it finds itself and just the blueprint for how your bone is supposed to be structured is is restored. It's, yeah, you know, it's crazy. The picture of that was at first it was doing great, but my right collarbone was split in half and my left tibia was, you know, punched through. So I was on crutches and I was trying to keep my leg immobile and it was a total pain to be on crutches, right? And so at about week two or week three, I forget what I was doing, but I recracked the collarbone. Oh. And that was kind of, that was one of those like, wah, wah, wah. Oh my God. You know, it, yeah. It's just that as painful as it sounds. It was yeah. actually, yeah. yeah, it was less than <laughs> thrilling. I, you know, I was pretty good with everything except um, when I got pulled into the, uh, the CT scanner, the two orderlies that were uh, loading me into the CT scanner thought they could move me easily and unfortunately hooked my foot uh, on the edge of the CT scanner when they were pulling me off the gurney and it actually popped my femur out of my tibia. That's how it actually, that was the first part of the resetting. There was no like, we're going to reset your leg now. It was the two orderlies loading me into the CT scanner right when I got to the emergency room. And the orthopedic wow. surgeon actually looked at it and goes, this is funny, your, your femur was inside there. Did anything happen? I'm like, yeah, yeah, something happened. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Um, I'm going to jump around here. So going back to the brain yeah. and we we're talking about the neural RX and stuff. Um, and you talked about getting these proteolytic enzymes, the serapeptase mm -hmm. and so on, past the blood brain barrier. And I've always wanted to ask someone this because I have a sense that we think of the blood brain barrier, barrier as being like some valve that opens and closes and allows fluid in there or not. But I've heard it explained more in a... Um, like an electrical sense that it has to do with uh, synapses and signals more so than it does a physical opening or closing of the barrier. Almost. How would you explain what it is so that people can understand? Um, I would say it's your, your body's safety, safety valve to keep things that could potentially damage your brain away from your brain. And yeah, and you know, interestingly, almost everything in the, in the body really is more electrical or electromagnetic than it is um, physical, right? Like people think of the, the heart as just this big pump. Well, if you look at all of the microvasculature, it, it doesn't take long to realize like the amount of static pressure you'd have to create in order to cycle the blood through the entire system, the way it's going at the rate it's going, that's not viable. You'd need an, an enormous heart to do that. Most of it's happening ionically, right? So there's an energy exchange. So the same thing applies to the blood brain barrier. You know, there's, there's definitely a gating, a gating function. Sort of like the calcium gated channels yeah, of your cells with calcium. EMF. Yeah, that's it. Right. Right. So it's, it's, it has to do with the voltage changing that allows things to go in and out, not something actually physically shutting off or closing. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's, yeah, there are certain components, like even like the tight junctions in your GI tract, like the xylem and the tight junctions there. All that stuff, you know, that's why a lot of people have problems with gluten, is it dysregulates that and opens up the tight junctions and then you're, Things, you know, things that should be just in your bloodstream find their way out or through, rather things that should just be in your GI tract find their way out into the bloodstream and then people trigger an autoimmune response because you're getting exposed to things that don't belong there. Right. You know, and there's, there's a lot of stuff like that. You know, your, your ocular system, your eyes are gated off from a lot of things and things do not penetrate there, you know, the same way. Um, 
it's anybody who does anything in the health and wellness space or physiological development or work or looking at the body, if you're not constantly just in a state of awe after looking at the body, you're not paying attention. <laughs> it's just like every day, literally, it's like, holy shit, that is the most amazing thing. I know. You, yeah. I'm almost up to 500 interviews and not all of them have talked about the physical body, but quite a few have. And each person's perspective just intrigues my curiosity more and more. I don't, I don't know that I could ever get bored of just this thing that we're living in this vehicle is just it's so insanely cool. Yeah. Like, actually, there was a, last year, there was an image that came out of the interior of a cell and it was colored. You know, they did shadings and gratings on it so you could actually see the different components. But just looking at the interior of one cell was amazing. Like when you look at all, all of the little organelles and it's beautiful. It looks like a city, you know, and, they, and there, there are things transiting through there. Just, you know, right. it's so complex, you know, to think that that degree of complexity, this is one of the things that, that I think is really brilliant about quantum behavior. Like you can see the things that are super small and how they cascade up to become, you know, atomic and then molecular and then larger aggregates of that. It's the same thing. Like you look at the most infinitesimally little small thing, like one cell, and there's so much information that has to be occurring within that one thing. It's just huge. It's it's like holographic. Yeah, it is. <laughs> so trippy. You know, the, it's funny. People don't realize this about holograms. The thing that I think is the neatest about a hologram is if you recreate a hologram um, with light, you see an image. If you recreate a hologram with a laser that's coherent light, you get a photorealistic depiction of that thing but it's accurate down to literally an electron you can you can go all the way down to the scale of an electron and see what's happening at that particular frame and also the other wow. crazy part is if you shatter the holographic plate every single component of all of the little shards of glass contains all of the information that was contained in the entire ah, i yeah. can't i can't yeah that's mind-bendingly cool the universe is too interesting for one lifetime. Thank God we get a few. Yeah, so they no say. doubt. Uh, with the C60, you talked about its ability to uh, shunt oxidative stress mm -hmm. and free radicals. N knowing that and hearing that from smart people like you and knowing that uh, one of the detrimental effects of EMF exposure is free radicals and oxidative stress, I've always felt kind of intuitively that taking C60 would act as a sort of internal shield to EMF. Is there any possibility of that being a reality? It is 100% a reality. Is it really? 100%, yeah. There was a study done um, with rats where they fed them C60 and then they exposed them to radiation. And they were like hit, real radiation. Yeah, eight, <laughs> 8 to 11 sieverts of radiation. Not Wi-Fi. No, like enough to kill you. Like the, like the chunk of thorium kind of a thing that I was playing with for the gamma shielding. Like real radiation that's pumping out lots of gamma rays that are going to be really detrimental and kill you. And they hummed along just fine. What? Yeah. That's honestly, that's why when I was playing with the thorium, I, and this sounds a little like I'm just being flippant, but, you know, I've read the studies, I've looked at it, and I didn't have any issues whatsoever just picking the stuff up and moving it around. You know, I wouldn't ask anybody else in my lab to do that, but I had no concerns about it because I had seen what happened, right? And I wasn't exposing, I was doing like, you know, micro sieverts or millisieverts rather. So um, I wasn't exposing myself to so much that it would be harmful to me because after looking at the studies that they did on mice, it was insanely protective. Wow, cool. Yeah. 
That's good. Well, I'm going to keep at it then. Yeah, if there's ever a nuclear war, you're golden. <laughs> Thank God. I mean, there, there, there might be at this rate. These people are insane. Uh, let me see where else I wanted to go here. Um, oh, with the deuterium depletion. Uh -huh. So the, you know, you got light water out there, and uh, this other one called a Preventia, I think. Preventa. Preventa, yeah, yeah Preventa. Preventa and, light water. and I've talked to Robert Slovak about mm -hmm. light water. He's involved with them, and. I said, why isn't everyone making this water? And he, and he essentially said that you need something akin to a nuclear reactor. You to, did. <laughs> to get the deuterium out of this bulk water. Yeah. And, you, and you hence, did. that's why it's so expensive, you know, is because it's, it's rarefied. Yeah. So when you say that you, you found a way to do it and make it much more affordable, I'm assuming you don't have a nuclear reactor in Tulsa. No, no, not at all. Yeah, they were they were using. I mean, there are, there are a couple of different ways that you can do it. Now there are a couple more. Um, but yeah, before they used these, you know, huge fractionating towers that you know, like eighty to hundred feet tall, and they would change the cooling temperatures and then you know electrolytically distill things. And yeah, you can do that, and sure, it works. Uh, I actually, it's funny because. I actually started looking at it years ago and came up with a way to do it and tested it um, and then was introduced to, uh, to Bob Slovak and Victor Sagalovsky, I believe was the other fella, um, by Joe Mercola because I had you know, come up with this other way to do it. And we didn't end up doing anything together, but I tested it because I was actually trying to get deuterium because I wanted to use it. I wanted to use the heavy water in an experiment I was doing in the lab. So I was trying to figure out, well, how do I isolate really? stuff? Yeah. Yeah. There's some kooks online, uh, if you start looking into the deuterium wormhole, uh, that claim the benefits of drinking heavy water or deuterium rich water. I am going to say that that is, that is not accurate. <laughs> that doesn't make sense, right? No, that's going to kill you. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Like, um, now, if, when you're younger, just a slight amount is necessary because it does. It, it fosters like an accelerated growth curve that you want when some organisms, mammals and people, you know, included in that, of course, uh, you, you actually do want a little bit of exposure to that. So it, it propagates growth at a faster rate. But no, I'm just going to flat out say that bad idea, guys. Don't drink heavy water. Well, there's also uh, um, an issue, I think, in just public perception that um, that some marketers have taken advantage of, wherein they're marketing water as deuterium depleted water when it's not really classically able to be categorized as such. It's just water that's lower in deuterium than the average water, like seawater, mm -hmm. tap water that's. 155 right maybe theirs is 130 or something right icelandic water actually that's like if you're not going to get deuterium depleted water uh, and i tell this to people who have cancer like go buy icelandic water because of everything i've seen it's the lowest in terms of its deuterium right. concentration right it's like i mean the 120s the water that uh that we drink here alive waters i think is like 130 because it's yeah. good spring water right but my point is this is that from my understanding after interviewing a, a lot of smarty pants about this is that drinking low deuterium water might not add deuterium to your body, but to de to get your body to be instigated to start depleting its yeah. its inherent deuterium levels, you have to drink the depleted water. Yeah, you really to want kind to of drop down like eighty five parts per million kind of a thing. Right. So you you trigger like a burn off of, of that. So stuff. I guess yeah. what I'm 
saying or asking is there's a difference between water that's lower than average in deuterium and and technically deuterium depleted water where it's lower than any water in nature essentially yeah i don't know that there's actually anybody that's really reached a you know kind of like a con- well i have as a of convention now. <laughs> oh the luke story convention on deuterium depleted water yeah i mean you could you could say like yeah the threshold is at 100 ppm or something and i am that would probably be pretty legit because right. below that you are going to trigger some different effects than you are above that but you can just find water like because of what it is and because the the difference in the mass if you go higher you don't get it that's why you know glacial water doesn't have it a lot of times or it has a reduced rate is because it literally at higher elevations drops out yeah you know which i i think is why the high altitude spring water is typically lower into the you know yeah high 120 135 Mm -hmm. above above 8500 ish feet yeah you're gonna get the stuff dropping out yeah yeah, it's, I love the world of deuterium. Another interesting thing I learned from, um, oh, God darn it, what was his name? It was a few years ago. Um, Laszlo. Mm-hmm. La, uh, oh, Laszlo Boros. Yeah, yeah, Boros. Yeah, yeah. Um, he was, t- I mean, he terrified me because he was talking <laughs> about how the fat in a coconut is depleted of de- depleted of deuterium, but the water is where it's, it's all concentrated, concentrated right? <laughs> so basically, like, all fruit is full of deuterium. You can only eat meat and be, you know, keto or whatever and i was like oh this is way too hard and, and for a while though, i was like scared of fruit and then i just relaxed about it but the interesting point i think was how nature takes this pervasive version of hydrogen and stores it away in carbohydrates basically yeah. right and it's not in fat hence the camel being able to survive that long on water because it's making its own mel- metabolic water yeah because it is very low deuterium yeah it's I mean, so trippy yeah, well, I mean, nature in its infinite wisdom, I mean, it, it really is kind of funny how it does do that, but it sequesters th- things that would be otherwise harmful. But have you have you noticed that it's almost always like there's a balance, right? Like the fat doesn't have any, it's depleted, but the water does have it. It's, our bodies are the same way in terms of like the, the magnetic potential, right? There's, you know, some parts of it are paramagnetic and some are diamagnetic and and it's a balanced system until it's not right like if you stand barefoot on concrete it concrete is skewed entirely in one direction so it it drains that potential from your system it's like a little magnet on top of a big magnet and it actually causes cellular paralysis like the the bow biology guys the building biologists from germany they actually isolated that years ago and were able to show that it causes cellular paralysis and does not allow the uh, the the waste to cycle out of the cells if you're standing directly on concrete. So they they would actually recommend cutting out squares and putting cork inlays in. So you'd you'd be standing on something that wasn't one really yeah one skewed charge. Wow. Yeah. yeah wow. I mean, there's it's always that you know it's both sides of the way. That's why like with all the serums, I try and figure out like okay, what can I block, but what can I accentuate? You know, because you're trying to get, elicit the the biggest change and the best response. So you just take the cues from nature. I mean, I literally doubt if there's anything I'm ever going to do that is going to be better than what nature has already done. Like any, when I was trying to do the, the hyper-oxygenated water and the hyper-hydrogenated water and all that stuff, I actually looked at it. I figured out what everybody was doing, read all the patents that I could find about what people were doing currently. And then I thought, okay, how would nature do it? And then I went back and built an entire system. That's the one that actually blew up. But I, I built a system that was mimicking what you'd find in nature to do compression rates. Wow. You know, and cool. because it's got, you know, I mean, biomimicry, right? Like most of the answers are already out there in nature. If you just tap in and pay attention to what it's doing, it's got a couple billion year head start on us. So it's generally speaking, a little ahead of the curve. 
All right, lifestylists, I've got an insanely cool resource for you. It's a breathwork app called Othership. And uh, I got to say, I am really into this thing. I've been doing breathwork for ages, but to be honest, if I really want to do some deep work, it's much more difficult to do without guidance. I mean, it's not called breath work for nothing, right? It takes some discipline, but much less so with a killer soundscape and expert guide leading you. With over 500 custom guided breathwork sessions, the Othership Breathwork app lets you access an on-demand library of sessions to help you regulate your nervous system and take your consciousness to the next level. The Othership journeys are science-backed and very music-driven, so whether you have time to practice for one minute or 60, you're going to feel an emotional shift when you need it most. Another cool thing about Othership is that they have sessions for the beginner to the most advanced practitioner. And some of the longer sessions are downright psychedelic, only legal and safe. And to start 2023 off with a bang, they just launched a 31-day guided cold plunge challenge on the app. It's got 31 custom breathwork sessions for the cold plunge to empower people to build a cold practice to maximize the mental, physical, and emotional health benefits available from consistent cold exposure. So you can play it to cool down in an ice bath or your bathtub, shower, or your favorite cold body of water. To get you started with Othership, we've got you hooked up with a free trial for the whole month of January. Just visit othership.us slash Luke to activate your account. This is an incredible tool, you guys, and one that is long overdue. Again, to try it out this month for free, go to othership.us slash Luke. As someone who has a, a pretty good understanding of physics, from what I can gather, I want to get your take on this. I ask a lot of a lot of people this question because there are such um, differing opinions, and it has to do with the practice of earthing or grounding, mm-hmm. right? So, if you go outside and put your bare feet on the grass or the, the dirt, uh, you're going to be getting this DC current into your body, and and you're going to be kind of uh, offloading um, static electricity that's built up in your body and whatnot, right? Um, so it's a positive thing. So many of us, including myself, have adopted these little grounding pads. You put them under a mm-hmm. computer or sleep on grounded sheets and things like that. I've been doing it for years. Seems to make sense. We've evolved to be touching the earth, not disconnected by rubber-tired cars and rubber-soled shoes and elevated beds and so on. But after interviewing a bunch of real bright EMF guys... Yeah, there's some problems with that. Okay, let me, let me, let me finish, yeah. finish my thought here, and then I want to get your take. The EMF guys say, duh stupid don't earth or ground in the presence of an electric field because then your body becomes the ground and now you're the conduit for all of that stray electricity what's your take on earthing and grounding uh earthing and grounding 100 percent do it but don't do it where you're plugging something into the house panel right like if you're going through the panel and because there's there's a lot of things like when you're when you're building an electrical panel right if you're actually wiring something most houses in in this country run on a 220 system right so some are 110 some are 220 um depending on the outlets in the house but you have to when you're actually wiring because i've wired houses before when you're wiring those things up you have to make sure that you get all the phasing right because electricity has a phase and if you don't do it properly you'll you'll buck the phase and it's basically creating a signal, right? And there's an impedance in the is signal. Is this dirty electricity? Yeah. Okay. okay. And so it's it's similar to that. And and so if you're grounding to your house panel, there's a lot of bleed off that's coming off of those things at frequencies that aren't really great for your body. And you don't want to do that. You're, I mean, if you want to run a ground rod outside your window and jack it into the ground and run that to your mattress, golden. Do it up all day that's long. That's the way ours is. Yeah. 
finally. Yeah, <laughs> and that's and that's a legit way to do it. But the other way, you're you're doing one thing because you think that there's this great beneficial effect, but you're you're shooting yourself in the foot. Right. So you you bring up an, another issue, which is just the the currents that are going to be carried on the ground wire from your your breaker box. My concern was more about just the electric fields at the 60 hertz emanating from the walls or anything that's plugged into power. And then say you're right next, say your headboard is against a drywalled wall with wires in it yeah, that you, are firing 60 hertz. You're, you're exactly right where you're headed with this. Yeah. So if you, like if you take a, um, if you test your, your skin voltage mm-hmm. for electric fields, right? And it'll be really high if you're next to that wall. And then if you touch a grounding mat, it goes to zero. And so a lot of us EMF nuts years ago would see those demonstrations and think, oh, sick, I'm protected yeah. from the EMF. Because <laughs> look, it just, my skin voltage went to zero, but it only went to zero because now I'm the ground. Yeah, you're pulling all of that stuff through your system. And, that, <sighs> and that's, that's, yeah, that's the problem. That's exactly it. So you agree that just 100, not, 100%. not the best option. No. Drive a grounding rod outside. Better yet, just literally go outside and lay on the ground. Go, go chill out in a chair and put your feet on the ground. Right. You know, I mean, do it the way we evolved to be done, right? Got it. I mean, and I, I also would be inclined to think that there's probably a whole lot to lymphatic drainage in the body based on contact with your feet on the ground. Oh, right. Yeah. Unless you're on an atrazine golf course. Uh, no. <laughs> yeah, you, yeah. Get get a bunch of glyphosate pumped up in your feet. No, that's. I mean, cells. that's the thing, man. The more you learn about this stuff, it's like I feel like boy in the bubble sometimes. Like literally, if I'm at a park, I'm nervous to take my shoes off because it was probably sprayed with glyphosate and or atrazine. You know, it's funny uh, because like I uh, I like a lot of the stuff I do is I try and make my body more robust and resilient, right, so that I can be exposed to large amounts of radiation and be okay or can be exposed to you know higher stress loads than normal and be okay and my bone density you, you increase the degree of trabeculae which are the little calcium channels in there so that you're actually you have more solidity and you're physically stronger um and all those things make you more bulletproof right but my take on being bulletproof is you don't like live in the bubble and hide from everything. That's not really bulletproof, right? Like Superman, if he had just moved into a cave, it'd be like, man of steel. No, he's hiding, right? Like you, you want to make yourself resilient so that you can actually go out and take the hit and be okay with it. You know, you don't want to live in a bubble. You just go engage in the real world and do your thing. I think that's a really good perspective because with, with all this health stuff, I've experienced at times the neurosis of worrying about all of the threat. Oh Christ! <laughs> is right is is actually more detrimental than just living like a. Because I see regular people just they don't know about any of this stuff and they seem fine. I mean, for a while, I guess eventually, even things you're unaware of will catch up to you. But it really is a balance, I think. Of, it was um, you talking about pizza earlier was cracking me up. Like this time. I'm going to do it. I'll be okay this time. When am I going to learn? When am I going to learn? It's just so goddamn good. I mean, you get a good pizza. I don't know if there's anything better. Sex, maybe. I mean, come on. Yeah, man. That's actually... And gluten-free pizza? Eh, They're getting closer. Yeah, cauliflower's not too bad as a crust, but, uh, you know, that's the thing, right? Like, you get a really aces... Like, there's this great pizza joint in Tulsa, and, I like, I order this phenomenal pizza there, and I love it. I don't do it that We should go get pizza tonight. To just... 100%, man. Just (laughs) I wouldn't even know the good pizza place in Austin because I try to stay away from it. And when I, so when I have had it, it's like we order delivery or something and it's just some random place. It's not really that good, but I still take the hit. 
hoping it will be. Yeah, having not lived here in a decade, I don't rem- I don't know what the great places are now. I used to know what the great well, places were. Well, I could were. test out the giant Leela block for real. Right. <laughs> Bring it into the restaurant. Be like, I know this seems weird. We're just doing a thing and p- set the pizza in there for five minutes and see if I don't shit myself. I, I'm 100% afterward. down, man. We can, we can go pick up Philip and bring him down for pizza and we can put it in the... That actually would be hilarious to roll into a pizza joint with that giant 16 by 16 Leela block. I ain't I'm down. I'll do it. <laughs> I've done way weirder things, <laughs> most of which illegal. All right, my friend. Hey, man. I, we've a pleasure, as always. Yeah, I, it's always great with you because there's no script needed. I just know that a lot of cool stuff's going to come out and you're going to share a lot of interesting wisdom and experience. So thank yeah, you man. for doing it. My pleasure. Thanks for having me down here. Yeah, and really cool. you know, you're, I know like selling things is not your motive in life. Um, you're one of the least probably to a fault salesy guys that I have on the show. Like think oh we have your products here and I have I have no shame in being the guy that promotes them for you, but you've really done a great job and Thanks, man. um and I, I like that you've you just have a few things and they're the things that you've discovered that really move the needle. Yeah. You know have. enough and have access to enough raw materials. You could have a product line of fifty things that are marginally effective. But I like that you're like, no, these are our things and we're only going to add new things when they're super badass. Yeah, if if it really does something, like I've worked out a thing that is a topical for shingles, right? Because people have a problem with shingles pain and, and a couple of other things, you know? And like those I'll put out because they will help people and they're simple and really super effective. That's cool stuff to me, right? Like really helping. But yeah, I don't, I don't want to be, you know, <laughs> GNC with five gazillion different options. I, I would rather... Like really target it and say, yes, if you have this problem, this will fix it. What aside from the shingles uh, serum, what what do you got in the pipeline that you want to share with us? So the water is cool. I uh, I really think that's great because I, I I think it will actually people will really get some benefit from that. Um, and and it also when you take it, it's you'll get more of a, a juice up than you would from having a really strong cup of coffee. Wow. Yeah. It's wow. Well, I mean, it literally just provides all of the raw materials that your cells need to produce a huge volume of energy. So it's, yeah, it's exciting that like that's, that's good. Uh, the shingles and then there's uh, a couple of things for as silly as it sounds like toenail fungus and some, some other problematic things that people have issues with that that really weren't all that difficult to, to crack, um, but they're needed, uh, you know, and then there are some things that I, that I have that like I worked out a thing for herpes simplex one that completely eliminates it, which is really yeah. Is that takes, cold source? Uh, yeah, oh, okay. yeah. Gen- well, you know, cold source it can either be HSV one or two, right? Um, oh, okay. But generally speaking, it's HSV one. Oddly enough, HSV two is a total bitch to knock out. Like I have not been able to do it yet. HSV one, I could completely clear it, take it out of the blood titers. Like there's no trace of it left. It's for all intents and purposes gone. HSV two, I. Just kept pissing is it HSV off. HSV two, like uh, what would it be genital, genital herpes? Yeah, genital herpes. There's a guy in California. He'll be on the show soon. Uh, Doctor Matt Bennett. Mm-hmm. He's got a clinic down in uh, Newport Beach, and he formulated uh, a unique kind of methylene blue, mm-hmm. wherein he does something to the effect of infusing it with um, gold and silver, and makes it it's called prexa blue i think is the brand name for it and i think he patented it and it's like a thing but um what would be the equivalent let me see it's 15 milligrams of his liquid stuff yeah is the equivalent of 300 milligrams of just plain methylene blue 
Oh, wow. Yeah, and, and so what he does is he does IVs of that and he puts a 660 nanometer red light on the IV bag uh-huh. with the methylene blue in it, runs that into your vein, and then runs your blood through a hemolumen, the blood irradiation thing, and hits yeah. it with UVA, UVC, and another band of uh, 660 red light. Mm-hmm. And they do like three or four passes of that and then puts you in a, a three-atmosphere hyperbaric chamber for a couple hours. And, uh, and I mean, I, you know, it's the like kind of thing they get doctors knocked off, but he's um, dealt, dealt with uh, Convid, uh, all, I mean, the real whatever the yeah. thing is. I don't even know what it is. But people that were sick with whatever weren't anymore. Uh, HIV, herpes, and Lyme. And uh, in two or three months, people are cleared of it. Like it's gone with the combination of these That's IVs. Remarkable. With the IVs and the hyperbare. Yeah. I and he's got 100%. a lot of data to support that. He's not just like, oh yeah, I did this. I mean, he's like, yeah, he's a guy. Went to Mexico and worked with a bunch of people there and also had a situation um, from the mitochondrial boost uh, from the uh, methylene blue. He had a couple situations with uh, MMA fighters where they came out with Hulk-like strength and you know almost killed the opponent and stuff like that too. I'm an got a, okay, got that's, accu- that's awesome. And got accused of doping or doing something funny, but they all they did was this methylene blue IV. Yeah, we Alice and I did one. We see here. I mean, it feels freaking amazing. We didn't follow it with the hyperbaric, but I mean, um, I remember when I'm never forget we're at our friend um, Daniel Raphael's house and. I do this kind of stuff all the time. I, you know, sometimes I feel it. I mean, I felt good, but Allison, she was getting her IV and she was looking around going, what is happening? She goes, I forget what she said. Something like, my mind feels like a diamond. She was just like, ding, you know, probably all that ATP just flooding her brain. And okay, she was I've like, got to check that she's out. Like, that sounds I feel fantastic. amazing. So uh, John Lawrence does it with the IV bag. He mm-hmm. shines the red line it, and then he does a 660 intravenous Laser, yeah. While the methylene blue is running around your body, so a little, you know, different. Try that actually. That sounds really cool. Super cool. The red light on the methylene blue six sixty in particular is is where the magic happens. And one could, I'm sure you could figure it out. I don't think Matt would be pissed. You know, he's all for helping everyone, but I'm sure you could figure out some version of putting silver, gold, copper, some other metal that's synergistic and Mm -hmm. and amplifies the effects of the methylene blue when it has those photons of light specifically shown upon it. Super cool stuff. Anyway, that that's the one guy. Cool. It's the one dude I've met that's like herpes, no problem. Give me two months. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. So there you I go. I love it. I love it when people figure stuff out like I that. I do it's too. So cool. It's the coolest. And I get to talk to them. Yeah, I can't believe no my life. <laughs> I get to sit down as long as I want, as long as someone will listen and learn all this stuff. It's so cool. All right, man. Let's go. Hey. Uh, let's get out of here. Pleasure Give the wife as a always. Hug and uh, we'll see you real soon. All right. Peace out. All right, family, the wizard has left the building. If you're still thirsty for more of his wisdom, make sure to go back and check out Ian's prior episodes. They're all linked in the show notes at lukestory.com slash Ian, I-A-N. And if your curiosity was piqued by the unusually potent products he's developed, you can find them at lukestory.com slash wizard sciences. And if you use the code Luke, you're going to save 20% off. Again, that's lukestory.com slash wizard sciences now on to our next episode first this friday we've got a brand new ask me anything episode where i jam on my favorite topics like spiritual and emotional healing then next tuesday we'll be back with number 467 featuring actor adrian granier now you might know him from his role as vince on the show entourage but in this interview you're going to learn about how and why 
he bailed on Hollywood and became a homesteader on a ranch here in Texas. So I'm really excited to share that conversation with Adrian with you next week. And here's a hot tip for you. If you want these next two episodes and all of the resources from each delivered right to your inbox, you're going to want to opt into the Lifestylist Podcast email list. It takes about, uh, I don't know, 30 seconds. And after doing so, you can rest easy knowing I will never share your email with anyone or spam you with a bunch of useless emails. I mean, personally, I probably unsubscribe from, I don't know, two to five email lists every day just because I don't care about their content. But if you enjoy this podcast, I'll bet top dollar you're going to love the convenience of getting the weekly shows the second they are published. So here's how you do it. Go to lukestory.com slash newsletter. Enter your name and email, and you, my friend, are on the list. Again, that's lukestory.com slash newsletter. Okay, that's all, folks. I hope today's episode provided you with some more valuable resources with which to build yourself the ultimate lifestyle of health and happiness. I'll be back on Friday. And until then, may you be blessed with the highest vibes and have the best day ever. Bye.